up and welcome to the Phantasm Podcast. I am Corey Gorechrist. With me, Dr. Vincent West. Hello, how are we doing? It's our first time in the uh, the Stage Diver studio here, so we're coming back at you. It's been a long time uh, since, we've, since we've laid down an episode, so thank you guys for being patient. Our anniversary, actually, this month. It is. We have... Uh, Eerie Vaughn from Sawain on the podcast. And Dr. Danzig. Locked that down. Yep, and Danzig. And Doctor, the film that we got requested by our guests, which we don't really ever hear, so. Yeah, it was, we, we were talking, well, <clears throat> I'll tell you what it is. We were talking about movies and stuff, and he likes a lot of classic movies. He's a big uh, classic movie buff. Like, I mean, like, you know, 40s, 50s stuff. And he was like, uh, if you're going to get a horror, if you're going to give me a horror movie, I want Not a Living Dead. So um, that's what we're doing. Night of the Living Dead. Which honestly. Welcome to a night of total terror. <coughs> night of the Living Dead. The dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. But yeah, I. Uh, this is the Criterion version of this film. This film is public domain, but they put a really incredible version of this film out. This is my favorite Blu-ray release of this year so far, just for the specs and the quality. Like it's sure if you get it's never looked this good. It's never looked this good. I've got the the Mill Creek they put out last year. You can get it at Walmart for like eight bucks. Just go ahead and you know get it off Amazon for like twenty five bucks. It's worth it. I mean, this thing's it comes with a poster and the supplement material, which I normally am not a big fan of on a lot of stuff if it's not a Screen Factory release, but the supplement material on this is fantastic. And it is with most Criterion releases. They just, they're very picky about doing horror movies, but yeah. Right. I found a new love for this film, too, watching this uh, when I bought it. I just, I don't know, man. I mean, it was George passing, I'm not really sure, but I, this film, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's really a, it's a blueprint for everything that stole from it. It really is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, like a statue, like an old statue that's rotted, but it's still classic and it's still good. And it's, you know, it's that's a good way of looking at it for sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I, you met him and I just, I, I gotta tell you, I think, uh, I met him briefly when I was meeting Tom Savini, uh, in the late nineties out in California in Burbank. And I, um, uh, this movie, I don't know, man. I was always more about. I'm, I mean, wearing my Dawn of the Dead shirt today, but I, from our buddy Front Rags, but the the Ben, I think. I, uh, I don't know. This movie, it, it's grown on me. I don't know. Used to it was something that I wasn't really. It's kind of become a go to thing with me after this version because it's so pretty. Like, no, it's I a was, classic, and 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 I want to say based on the print because I've seen a couple of the other 
Blu-ray releases of this. Um, but this, being black and white and everything, this perfect. looks amazing. It's perfect. Yeah, it's really good. It's. I'll say this. It's the best George Romero release I've ever seen of a film. I've never seen any of his movies look this good. Yeah, and, and you know, I haven't checked out any of the, uh, you know, that uh, Summer of Fear and the Crazies that Arrow put out. Um, I haven't seen any of those prints yet. I'm sure they look That great. box? Yeah, the I've box set. I've never opened it. What a shock. We'll have to, we'll have to watch that yeah, one, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, and Dawn, you know, you, you got the, the OG Blu-ray of that, that that's out of print. Yeah, um, it doesn't. It's unfortunate. Pay a, going but on I that. think that one... Um, you know, eventually they're going to have to put that. You know, Scream Factory did uh, Day Day of the Dead, which is awesome. Um, I haven't seen that print either, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's nice, but it doesn't look like this. Like I don't know. I mean, yeah, Criterion Black and White. This looks yeah, it's incredible. It's for, ridiculous. I mean, you guys just have to see it to believe it. As many times as you might have seen this film, and um, even if you're lukewarm water on this film, like maybe it's not your favorite zombie movie, or maybe you're not even into zombie movies or something. But I, I, for me, this is this is the blueprint. This is the blueprint, and and you know I love the Tom Savini version of this film. Yeah, it's really which a lot of we, people, which we did. That's one of the first things we did. That's you know? uh, our boy Lee Harrison. Shout out to Lee of Monstrosity. Yep, that was one of our earlier episodes with uh, when we first started putting uh, guests on there, um, welcoming our death metal uh, tribe. You know, yeah, death metal tribe to our to our product here. Um, you know that was one of the first ones we did was the the Savini one, which was it's it's very entertaining. I'll say this: I uh, recently started watching Walking Dead um, again, and I really like Negan. Yeah, he's a badass. He and just, when you he just offs people, and you, I'll tell you something really funny. This is funny to talk about this while we're doing this. They have one episode left uh, this Sunday. I don't know if they'll kill him or not. But what's interesting about it is apparently since they brought him on for the past. Uh, two seasons now. Apparently, their ratings are in the toilet because apparently a lot of people don't like him. And I never thought I would like any of their characters again because when they killed the governor, because I kind of was fond of the governor. I know he's oh but, yeah, but I thought he's gonna douche about. I yeah, liked Morrissey, him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I really like him, and uh, I bought Lucille the other day. His bat, nice. Um, yeah, it's a big one. I mean, a lot of people really, really like Negan. Uh, I do too. It's easy cosplay, and a lot of people really enjoy. Doing that role whenever I go to conventions. He's fun, man. One. He's cool. Yeah, Negan is cool. He's he just he's basically a, a, a serial killer. I mean, amongst the the zombies and stuff. Yeah, he's batshit crazy. And of course, there's the they're coming to get you, Barbara. Just dropped on the 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 movie here, and we got Harry the zombie lurking around. Uh, Johnny, which is played by Russell Striner, actually served as a producer on the the remake, which is pretty cool. I didn't know that. He's uncredited in this film. Which is interesting, uh, which I think is it's very cool. Um, he actually, if you guys are on the convention circuit, he does do conventions every now and then with Judith O'Day uh, as Barbara. So they they've done some group photo ops. It's pretty fucking gnarly. Uh, would love to meet those those cats. They're and, you know it's it's amazing. So talk a little bit about for everybody listening out there. Um, of course, we got Erie Vaughn coming up later. I want to forget that. I'll get into Fuck, that yeah. more about that in a second. It was really nice of him. Uh, he's a photographer now by trade, but he is playing music and stuff again. Um, but let, tell everybody out there, because I haven't really got to talk to you too much about this. You have met, I believe, several times uh, John Russo. Yeah, John. Uh, John's a, a pretty interesting dude. Uh, 
actually usually sets up at, at Guarbecue, um, which now seems like a festival of the past. I don't see it coming back at least this year again. So I don't they're know, not doing one this year. I don't year. know what's going on with it. Uh, I know oh, I know Balzac man. is in bad health right now. Um, so shit's just going south. I mean, it's it's Guar's in the it's it's the gods telling them they should have never made another record after, uh, or maybe it's Odorous. Uh, just punishing, killing them. off his band. I don't know. That's probably shitty to say, but you know, uh, Guarbecue is what me and Mrs. Gorkrest look forward to every year, and uh, it looks like it's not going to happen again this year. So. Sprite, yeah, Sprite. So we're <laughs> product placement. Um, but yeah, I don't remember what I was getting with that. Uh, John Russo met him at Guarbecue. Then I usually see him at conventions. He's at you know a good bit of them. Uh, really cool guy, cheap signer. If you guys are you know low on budget, you want to meet a legend, uh, you know somebody that you know wrote this film and shit. That's amazing. Um, and do you know to, to talk about this with you real quick? Because I believe you're gonna <coughs> imagine know a little bit more about this than I do. Because I really don't. Because the to be to be perfectly honest with you, to harken back to my childhood briefly, and I want to ask Corey this question, but. Peter and DJ, two of my friends that I grew up with, DJ unfortunately passed away of leukemia in um, in, in middle school, and I'd kind of uh, still stayed in touch with Peter, even though I'd known him since I was like six, seven years old, and uh, they were both big zombie fans. They were both big Romero fans, and I was curious, um, and I always would love to have him on here to have him talk about it if he didn't act like I was uh, not dead, but anyway, um, I'll ask you this, Corey. Uh, the the split between Romero and Russo it it seems like it's I, did that ever get repaired or is that in the toilet or is um, that one to the grave or I I don't know on a personal level I know that they um, whenever I met George he uh, John Russo was set up right across from his table kind of so I don't know <clears throat> if you know I feel like if John or any of them had their way they would be like no fuck that but maybe I think they reconciled at least on a personal level, maybe not on a legal level or however it worked out. Um, I mean, how could you hate each other with the, with what you've done, you know? Um, it's oh. just... <clears throat> I, I honestly don't know if that... you know, how that transpired. There's some commentary tracks on this Blu-ray. Um, speaking of that, I wanted to kind of use your knowledge with, with meeting John a couple times. I've never met uh, John Russo, but there's uh, <clears throat> some production interviews like that were recorded last year for this um he also introduces some 16 millimeter daily reel and there are some commentaries from 94 which i'm assuming are off the anchor bay releases or the fox release of this film on dvd back then and uh it's featuring uh romero russo and uh, carl hardman and actor judith o- od oday oday i'm an idiot and others um but I'll tell you, the, the standout for me on this whole fucking thing, I will sell anybody on the planet this. Is, anyone knows, unless you have never listened to us before, and if you haven't, welcome aboard. But Corey and I are huge Phantasm fans. There is a fucking interview on the second Blu-ray with our man, Phantasm creator Don Coscarelli. Fuck and man. Romero, 1979, and they're both there plugging. Obviously, George is plugging Dawn of the Dead. Love it. Ken Frey, we love you. Corey loves you. Shout anyway, out to Ken. And uh, and Don is there plugging Phantasm. And I'll tell you that it's worth. It's not on YouTube. 
<clears throat> that I could find. So, and it's in, I don't know where the hell they got it from me. They got it from NBC folks at Criterion, you pretty amazing people. When you do a horror film, you do it all out. Uh, that interview was worth buying this. It's that good. And the, 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 the commercials are cut out of it, obviously, but the, the cool thing about it is, is it's all there. Like the magic, like, and they're talking about <clears throat> the man interviewing me. I'd forgive me. I can't remember who the fuck it is. I was like a little kid when that shit came out, but excuse me. And, uh, if you watch it, <laughs> you can tell they're just both like in their fucking prime of doing their shit. Yeah. Motherfucking Dawn of the Dead. Motherfucking Phantasm. And they're both just sitting there. And I'm like, this is great. If, if you know, you could get Stephen King on the couch, John Carpenter, David Cronenberg. Toby Hooper. I mean, let all those cats sit there and just hang out. And yeah, I mean, you know. It really, it, it's... As much as I love Carpenter, and a lot of people, because I'm a huge Texas Chainsaw Massacre fan, but really, George is the, just, man, I'm telling you, him and Stephen King, I think, those guys, the fact that those guys were friends. Yeah, and they brought us Creep Show. That should tell everybody on the planet um, about that. Speaking of Creep Show, I was just telling Corey about this. This came out last year. I highly recommend picking up Just Desserts, the Blu-ray companion <clears throat> documentary uh, on Creep Show, and there's tons of stuff on there. Our good friend Sean Clark has a uh, Horrors Hollowed Grounds episode, which is fantastic for Creep Show. The man, Tom Atkins, also hosts it with him because he was the uh, Stop it. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, he's the he's the dad in Creep Show. He's yeah, the one awesome. fussing at the little boy. The little boy in that, which I didn't know this, is Stephen King's son. Yep. I never knew that until I watched that. Anyway, it's very informative, and of course, my favorite part of that entire Blu-ray. And I've got a guest announcement for everybody out there. Drum roll. dead body. Uh, so, what you got... Sorry, I did a No, it's awesome. My phone. What you've got is Scream Greats, only available on VHS, Tom Savini. That's so cool. From Paramount, and it's on there. And Mr. Savini will be joining us this summer for an episode. Corey's favorite actor. <laughs> we'll get him to apologize to Corey on air here for you. No, it's going to be amazing. Tom Savini's going to come on. I thought about. I asked him just that up. bluntly, and he was so nice. And and you know, maybe you can make him feel good. Maybe you get some merch. Maybe you can get get me an acting spot on Walking Dead. I can be a zombie. We can both <laughs> be zombies on there because he's friends with Nicotero. That'd be really cool. You know, yeah. I actually asked him about Greg for you guys out there that are big Walking Dead fans, but that was a big hell no because that guy's so busy. I mean, I mean, Jesus Christ, they. There's no fucking way, you know, whatever. Maybe like I, get, I'd be lucky if I could just get like a fucking... If he can fart in your direction. Too. Basically, but... And for those that don't know, Greg Nicotero that does all the stuff in Walking Dead, he was a Tom Savini student, and the first film he worked on with Tom doing makeup was Day of the Dead. So there's your other Romero time to that. That's it, awesome. And we got Dwayne Jones on the screen here who plays Ben. He's amazing. Uh, this is a really a revolution, uh, revolutionary role for cinema in this. With him being George, a black actor. <clears throat> oh, definitely. And George, George was never afraid. Like our good friend Ken Frey was never afraid to put that in the forefront of his films. And I think anyone that's ignorant enough to not pay enough attention to certain horror directors, you have to really say. And I will say this, even over my favorite director, John Carpenter, I think Romero was socially and politically sound. John is more of like a like a oh, like a rebel anyway. So yeah. whereas George was more like, look, 
bringing it all but in. But this was the first, it in. the first African-American actor to be portrayed as the hero of the film. Yep. In 68, folks, this is the, you know. Oh, yeah. When you think of how far back things go, uh, you know, 68, and we're just now getting a, a, a positive, you know, hero role for the, the black community, so. Indeed. Sprite. Uh, you know, and they consider this an indie film when really it was just, you know, ambitious guys trying to make a movie. And, you know, John Russo and uh, and, and George met in, in film school, I think, when they were, they've known each other since they were, what, like, they were like 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they've had quite the history. And then when they made this, you know, they were just desperate to get something out there. And who knew it would blow up and create definitely a whole new piece of horror that really i don't see how it wouldn't exist somewhere because you got the folklore of, of different types of zombies and stuff like that but this was this is it the first portrayal of yeah it's a brain-eating zombies this is it i mean before that it was just voodoo and <coughs> just like the dead being back to life but how do you get that to turn into violence and horror mm-hmm. by them eating brains out of all things so it's just cool and, and the zombies in this or actually, you know, I don't remember them being as scary as they are right here. And they're, the action's already underway. I mean, we're... Dwayne's... You know, uh, Ben's beating the living shit out of a couple of zombies already with a lead pipe. And Fun fact, too, for everybody, was Tom Savini was actually supposed to do the makeup for this film. But <clears throat> he was unable because he was still enlisted in Vietnam. And he was a medic there. Which is where some of his inspiration for a lot of his kills came and stuff that he did in the late 70s and early 80s. When you think about that, that shit is deep. It's very inspired. Well, you can... Just the fact that that whole Pittsburgh crew... Excuse me. Was all still together. Even though I know Tom didn't do this, but then later remade it with George's Blessing. Right. Um... And whatever you just real quick, guys, if you're a collectors, just hear me out for a second. Do not buy the Amazon Ghetto Australian Not the Living Dead. Just spend the money and get the Twilight yeah, Time. Anybody would tell you that. Just get the Twilight Time. A lot of people had a problem with the Twilight Time because it has a blue hue to it. Well, you know what? My balls have a blue hue to it too. <laughs> but it don't bother me. Yeah, I never I, mean, ma- I not... never masturbate or have sex before we record, so they always have a nice blue hue. <laughs> But yeah, that movie has a has a blue hue to it, the the print. But I mean, what do you want? It doesn't have fucking color, so well, the, gave it something. Well, the the Amazon one that you can get for like seventeen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen bucks looks like a fucking DVD rip thrown onto a Blu-ray disc. Yeah, and, and I will say that this fucking Umbrella Films. When you're wanting a fucking foot long turd, turn to Amazon. <laughs> they must own Umbrella. It's like get our quality bootlegs here for full rent <laughs> get it from the gas mart for 17 cents. and don't forget to pick up our buy one get one free on our dna tests i gotta see if i'm egyptian or something i'm so tired of that shit sorry anyway but yeah it's it, umbrella stay away from it Th- those companies they're they did they did some of the uh uh ray harryhausen uh uh hercules stuff and sorry excuse me sinbad stuff it's garbage. It really is. I'm sorry. It's stuff's fucking garbage. You do, if you get what you pay for. If you want to buy it, then go ahead and buy it. And then when you pick it up, don't even open it. Just throw it in the fucking trash. Yeah, because they did Fright Night too, and it literally looks the 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 Columbia TriStar double sided ghetto full frame widescreen DVD looks better than that Blu-ray that they put out. <laughs> it's all the same people. It's just these like get, they did Christine like that too, which is just stupid. 
And I get it. You know, people are like, I ain't paying fifty bucks for blue. Okay, well, so, then, well then, then you're gonna get then the, don't get it. You're gonna get the Napster bootleg of it. Yeah, then don't complain about it. Just watch it's it good. when it comes on TV, and you might as well just get the YouTube rip. You know, so <clears throat> wheelchair fucker. He hates paying more than retail for a, for a for a movie. Well. I love him to death. He's a great guy. Had a car accident recently. Glad he's okay. But anyway, shout out there to wheelchair fucker. But yeah, get well soon. If you want a movie, you 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 you, you got to ante it up. If you don't want it, it's gone. You know. Yeah, like I just shelled out forty bucks for that uh, deep red from Arrow, and you know I was kind of like, fuck, you know that was really frivolous. I probably shouldn't have done that. <coughs> but to be honest, you know I haven't I haven't bought a horror movie in a little while, and I really want. Yeah, basket that case. Yeah, and, and that's gone too. By the way, case. it's out of print. Um, that was awesome. And then when I got Deep Red in the mail, I didn't know how great it looked. Like the the you know the it's a great movie. The contents of it and all that, I didn't really read up on. It. I was like, yeah, I want it. And then it's got the the booklet with it, and it's got a really nice poster. It's got like a a nice set of like you know uh, you know like cards that's got like we'll the kills on one. them. We'll have to do yeah, that it's one. it's really sick, and it's a very you know coveted Argento film, you know. Um, so that was really cool, and the the packaging was nice, and that's what you pay for. It's and it's got the limited edition contents. You know, down the road, it's gonna just be one fucking disc, and it's not gonna have the nice little no. box in it, and it's gonna be slipcover. Yeah, oh yeah, slipcover. It's big. It, it looks like the the uh, reanimator ones they did. It's nice. like that. It's a box. Well, the re- you know, like speaking of Argento, I just got the sect. Ooh. I haven't got it in the mail yet. I, I, uh, Deep Discount had it for like eleven bucks. I got it, and I got Opera. Yeah, we got to do opera. I got the church, and I got, um, I know that's not him, but it's his daughter, nude, getting fucked by Satan. Um, Who doesn't want that? No, it's amazing, Asia Argento. I spilled a lot of seed to that movie as a kid, which is gross, but whatever. (laughs) Um, You've worshipped. I did. I worshipped her worshipping a goat. But anyway. Place of worship. It was literally like a Satan priest fucking her. It's like, it's really nasty. But anyway, it's awesome. And I got, um, what else did I get? I got a bunch of stuff recently. I, I, a lot of it hasn't shown up yet, but uh, I finally got Fletch Lives. I caved in and bought it. It's like a universal on-demand thing. Nice. Because um, I'll never find that. So I had to have it. It's my favorite Fletch movie. A lot of people like the first one. I like the second one. It's fucking, fucking funny. I love the first one, too. But um, Yeah, so we'll have a bunch of Argento stuff coming your own way. I, I'm, <clears throat> Corey I, has kind of got me back into interested in his stuff. and I, I caved in and bought the Suspiria. And oh, that's amazing. $70 I spent on that Our thing. boys at Synapse. Whoa. That's amazing. I haven't opened it. I'm scared to oh, open it's it. So good. I haven't opened any of those. You know, I've got Tenebre and right. uh, Phenomena. I've never opened any of them. See, I didn't know because it it comes with the slip cover, which is part of the limited set, and it's got the fucking Goblin soundtrack in there. I mean, that thing is packed. They really, they made us wait a long time, but damn, they made it. It it came and it looks fucking fantastic. I haven't watched it. Um, I believe when I went to a, the film festival. When I saw the 4K master of it, I think it was the same version, but I don't know if that might have been the Italian cut. I'm not sure. No, uh, I think you saw the yeah, I probably the 4K. Well, so seeing that in theaters was amazing. <clears throat> Looking forward to actually watching it. I might do a an Argentathon one day when I get um, you know, I'll do Deep Red and Suspiria, and uh, I'd like to do Tenebrae. That looks really good too. Did you open it too? Oh yeah, I've watched that one. See, Looks I've really seen cool. all that stuff. I just I'm weird about opening those steel books because I'm like, well, if yeah, I want to sell, they it. do the same thing. If you're gonna you get know. this Arrow stuff and you're a collector, or you get the Synapse stuff, 
you, you got to get it if you want the, the the El Primo with the extra stuff. It's worth it because if you sit on it, then all you're going to have left is eBay or you're going to have to settle for the single disc like that phenomena. I mean, yeah, I didn't get sucks. that, which is disappointing, but they actually still have some copies of those. You just have to special order them from Synapse. Really? They still float around? Yeah. So you can get them from the site. You just have to kind of, you have to special order. You know, them. we've never done popcorn. I bought that last year. That's a really beautiful set, too. I mean, you, you like Dr. West said, you get what you pay for. If that's something that's really important to you, which it is to me. That's, if you're a videophile, he and I both are, so it's... Yeah. I you know. like to, when I walk <clears throat> into my office, I like to go in there and see all my, my nice additions of my shit, not just the movies. You know, I can get Blu-rays all day. Um, but having something like this Night of Living Dead Criterion versus picking up the... the seven dollar from walmart <clears throat> then you know this is the it looks better. like shit too i mean i have it it looks like shit yeah <clears throat> it doesn't look good i need to sell it it's awful and when it came out it was the only legal <clears throat> version of it that had ever been released in america there's a british one that amazon sold that's in a lime green box i've seen that one yeah and it its print actually looks better than the uh than the one that uh that mill creek did although mill creek is a budget company they're like uh, for older people out there, they're like Good Times video of the fucking 80s and 90s. You go right. to Walmart and they have those like thin thin case, like thin as that yeah, iPad. Yeah, like, little video section. <clears throat> it's Good Times, and it fucking looks like shit. <clears throat> I had a Halloween three season of the witch Good Times. VHS. My fly's been unzipped this whole time. He's ready for action. <clears throat> Mrs. Gorecross must be ready. Night of the living dick. <laughs> All right. And now they're uh, setting up shop here at the house, which this is very iconic in and of itself, too. I mean, how many zombie films followed suit with this just being kept up in a place and trying to survive? I mean, this set the tone for everything, you know. Um, Just this whole thing where they have to board up the doors and then, you know. This is just, I mean, the whole thing. If you go down to, you know, playing zombie survival video games this was the the template for all that this was the setup for walking dead every, all that i mean you wouldn't have had dawn of the dead without this so realistically this whole movie is the blueprint for everything everything and even just survival <clears throat> horror period like just being confined into a, like a little house and having to survive the night i mean this really started all that you know do you, uh, <clears throat> have you been playing any, <clears throat> I've never done this on the podcast, I'm doing it tonight. Do you ever, have you been playing any new uh, video games? I really haven't had the time to. Have uh, you bought any that you haven't played? I got a new 4K TV, so this, that's, it looks amazing. Um, I got, because the, here's a little tidbit, I don't have a PS4 Pro yet. The PS4 Pro can push 4K. But it's not a 4K Blu-ray player. Right. Um, I have an Xbox One S, which is the best 4K Blu-ray player you can buy for your price. So that I've been using to play stuff. And I have the new Assassin's Creed like Origins, which is a 4K game. And holy shit, it looks incredible. It's a great game. Yeah. And a lot of, uh, <coughs> a lot of channels, and if you guys are new to 4K... Um, a lot of channels that are already, if you have HD cable or whatever, a lot of them are already in 4K. So when you have a 4K TV, it just natively just converts itself. So it just looks fucking incredible. 
Um, so I rec- highly recommend the 4K. It's, it doesn't look weird. It, it doesn't really take any time adjusting. It just looks it looks how your TV should look, really. I mean, it, I didn't think it'd be as much of a difference between the TV I already had versus now. And I'm just like, holy shit, this is so much better. I'm kind of grandpa on it. I'm sticking with the Blu-ray, and I'm just going to do rot it out. Yeah. I There's, mean, 4K hasn't not, done enough for me to start buying their discs. I'm not transferring <clears throat> to 4K by any means. The TV I get. The only one I I'm have, the only 4K disc I have, I I found a cheap copy of the uh, the Steelbook for Guardians 2. I bet it looks Guardians incredible. Guardians of the Galaxy. But the reason I bought that is because that's the only way you get the 3D Guardians of the Galaxy was the Steelbook. And it came with the 4K copy, the 3D copy, the Blu-ray copy, and I think a digital copy. Nice. Also. So I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to do that. Cause I bet it looks great. Oh, it's it's so beautiful. And I watched the 4K one, it looked awesome. And probably the only other 4K movies I'm going to buy for a while. Um, Original like Ghostbusters? Act, yep, the first two Ghostbusters, both Ghostbusters oh, I didn't movies know they were both are now. in 4K. Nice. Like the new Ultra <clears throat> disc, not like the 4K remaster. And then... Hey, Corey, answer the call. <laughs> and then the uh, uh, Jurassic Park collection that's going to be in the 4K Ultra disc those I'm sure all look amazing oh yeah those movies look good anyway and it's like 65 bucks or something I'm just gonna cave in and buy that I've been waiting for it and uh yeah and most of the movies you know they're 4k transfers and scans so we can they look pretty good <clears throat> this is the time on the podcast where I give <clears throat> I've only done this once when I praise J.J. Abrams about the Phantasm remaster so now oh, I'm, I'm gonna God. give Corey a heart attack again tonight with this next statement this is not a joke <clears throat> And I will admit to my hypocrisy on this because I trashed it. My favorite movie that I've seen so far this year was Ready Player One. I absolutely loved it. I'm dead serious. Holy shit. Is this? I'm recommending it. This is it. Dr. Vincent West speaking, right? I'm recommending it to everybody on the planet. I absolutely loved it. I was thinking, I forgot about <clears throat> it. I was going to do a joke to you earlier. I loved it. I forgot it. on the phone when I called you earlier. I was going to be like, I was going to be like, hey, Vincent. You know Ready Player One? It's certified fresh. I love I love I really seriously loved it. Huh. It I is mean, it's it is my favorite it is my favorite movie that that Spielberg has done since Jurassic Park. Wow. It's that good. I'm buying it. I I want it. I'll buy the steelbook. I'm telling you, I there I don't even know how to sit and tell you how much I liked it. A friend of mine, Taro, talked me into going to see it. He's like, I really think you'll love it if you're going to this with an open mind. I did, and I fucking fell in love with it. I loved every scene. And a lot of people are trashing it, but it's very nerdy. Like, I don't mean hipster nerdy. I mean, mean, like, it is hardcore nerd, like, to the bone. And the guy that wrote it is, like... A little bit older than me or my age, and he is. We're just dead on. I mean, it's it's like I don't know. I loved it. Wow, loved it. All right. Uh, video games. I've been playing the Monster Energy Supercross, which I love. Nice. It's the best motorcycle game I've ever played in my life. I know that's weird, but whatever. Far Cry Five. I love it. I just got it. Um, and I got what else have I been playing? Uh, Kingdom Come. Uh, Kingdom Come, whatever, you're like a medieval knight nice. RPG. 
I highly recommend that. That was a Kickstarter game or, or some kind of crowdfunding bullshit. And then a big publisher picked it up. Then it was like exclusive at GameStop. Now it's everywhere. You can get it at Target, Walmart, wherever. It's a great game. Hell yeah. It's worth 60 bucks. So, but yeah. That's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing. But yeah, Ready Player One, I know. I'm eating the I'm eating the turd tonight. Whatever. I liked it. I liked it. And I trashed it. I made fun of the trailer for it. I made but I'm telling you, I fucking loved it. Like I loved it so much. I don't it it's gonna take Infinity War to top it. Because I mean it was that good. Like I really liked it. Wow. It's a good movie. It's just a good movie. I think you would like it. I think Alexis would not like it. Yeah, I've never swore it off. I mean, I'm telling. We'll go see it when it goes to the Dollar Theater. We'll go see it. It's good. I swear to God, it's great. That Ernest, Ernest, whatever his name, Ernest Klein, or whether it wrote it, genius, loved it. But there was like, it's most good the book. It's like, well, I don't read books, so I watch movies. I'm a visual learner. Sorry, you know. But anyway, to those people, I'm sorry if it's not the book. But I haven't read the book, and I love the movie. So, meeting my turd right here on Phantasm for you, like I did on the Abrams print of the Phantasm. <laughs> eating the turd. Eating the turd sandwich. Thank you, Spinal Tap. Shit sandwich. <laughs> shit, shit sandwich. Well, this might be tough to do, but we haven't done this yet. Um, we need to go into our our first segment here, which is... I've dubbed a new name for it. We never had a name for it. We always just went into it. Okay. Uh, where we do... We take you guys back to the... Uh, well, this being 1968. Oh, God. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, we always take you back to the time when the movie came out. We go to cinema. You know, for, for, I'd, I'd take the movie end, and then the doctor takes the music end. So, obviously, with 68, we're not going to have so much uh, metal. We will have some heavy metal. but uh, Some rock. We got yeah, some, some rock. rock. Acid uh, rock. Yeah, acid rock. Get your acid rock today. Call 1-800-FANTASM. <laughs> so... Uh, we're gonna go into our put your bandanas on and your bell bottoms. Get your anti-Vietnam or put on your military clothes. I like to call this segment "Altering the Future." Altering the future. You like that one? I do. That's funny. I was, I was uh, Terry Butler in it. Anyway, oh, fuck yeah. All right. So usually I cover. Um, you know, I'll go over regular movies that were huge then, and then I'll go to the horror. We actually have some pretty damn good ones from 68. Um, While you're doing that, I'm going to get my phone. see. Well, we got some uh, some really nice ones here. We got Hang 'em High, which is uh, a Clint Eastwood. We actually have one that we've done uh, on here from horror. Really? Yep. Uh, the Witchfinder General. Vincent Price. Uh, My man, Vincent Price. Yep, that was the Phil Anselmo episode. You can find that on iTunes and wherever podcasts are and anywhere you find us. YouTube. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of good westerns came out in 68. Um, Once Upon a Time in the West. You got Coogan's Bluff. Mm-mm. I think it was 67. Or 66. And we got Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. We got Marilyn the... uh favorite movie. <laughs> we it, got, it is. I'm not joking. We got Bullet. The, uh, Steve McQueen. Yep. Steve McQueen number. Um, 
The Odd Couple. We got Yellow Submarine, the Beatles movie. Love it. About where eagles dare. Never seen that. Uh, Bandolero. What about The Great Escape? Is that 68? No. Damn. Then we got The Green Berets, which is my favorite John Wayne movie. Never seen it. Um, what else we got here? Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, let's see. We'll just get into horror. There's actually a lot of horror that came out in 68. Uh, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. It's Christopher Lee. It's good shit. It's classic stuff. If you're listening to this podcast, you don't go back to the greats. something you definitely need to do because that's where it all starts. Um, Barbarella. That's not a horror movie, but it's a cult film. Uh, classic, classic movie. It's always a, a must-watch. It's a, got Jane Fonda, of course. So that's a, that's a pretty good one. That's an essential for your if you're <coughs> collectors out there. Um, <coughs> you got and I'll leave the last three. We got 2001: A Space Odyssey, which recently had its anniversary. Actually, uh, a couple they're about days to put ago. it in theaters recently. Yeah, uh, celebrate it. If you um, want to go do it like we did The Shining. This is gonna be very tough, but I'm gonna put these in order of what I think is better. What do you think? Okay. No or yes on the on that 2001? Oh yeah, it's a fantastic movie. We'll go see it. We'll do I would love it, to see it in theaters. Um, so yeah, th- these are my two. You know, the last two I'll do. And I'll put one before the other. We got Rosemary's Baby. Classic. Talk about Fuck by Satan movies. That's a great one. And then number Criterion one, also put that out. Besides Night of the Living Dead, my number one from 68, Planet of the Apes. Fuck yeah. It's good stuff, man. <clears throat> I'm a beneath the Planet of the Apes guy. That I like the second film, the sequel. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one too. Um, so that's your movies from '68, and then we'll shift over to Doctor West here for the uh, music. <clears throat> Give me just one second. I'm having some technical difficulties on the music end of things. Cause somebody named Wheelchair Fucker is a putz. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, we like to to set the tone for you guys that are watching at home. Hopefully, you're following along. Whether you had the 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 uh, Mill Creek version, you should have just tossed in the trash and saved yourself the trouble. Or uh, you have the the El Primo uh, Dwayne Jones approved uh, Criterion version. He didn't approve it. I was lying. He died in '88, uh, but you know he would definitely approve of how great this looks. Now, of course, the big Big, big band that was around in 68, of course, was the Beatles. Um, Love them. Yeah, I mean, they're... And, and Cream, uh, the Bee Gees, uh, Steppenwolf, which I'm not really much of a Steppenwolf person. Uh, the band. <clears throat> Core likes to dream. <laughs> I can't deal with them. That stuff makes me want to puke. Steppenwolf? Yeah, I can't fucking deal with it. Yeah, I'm just not a... But a magic bullshit ride. I can't fucking deal with it. (laughs) I can't do it. Can't do it. Turtles, Rolling Stones, the zombies. Hold on, I'm pulling stuff up. Corey's already done it for me. Well, it wasn't naming off albums. It was naming bands that were already around. You're doing 60s stuff. The Doors. The Temptations. James Brown, baby. Yeah, I mean, you you got some good stuff. The band. So, you know, 
Sixties was a good time. Here we right? go. Let's 1968. Do Let's do album. We're doing album 68. From late, great, 1968. <laughs> Richard Belding. What, a, what does that asshole want now? Anyway, <laughs> that's from uh, Save by the Bell. <laughs> Sorry, I was stupid. <clears throat> um, I'll actually find that in a minute and play it. I'm going to play something for everybody, though, since I'm done with this little treat for you tonight. <clears throat> Unless Corey wants to find it on his phone and run it through the audio. Yeah, I'll find it. You can run it through your audio. Well, look at through. How the hell do I do that? You just plug this little doohickey into your phone. I don't know how to do shit. And I'll just unmute it for you. So, here we go. This is gonna be real quick. <clears throat> here, plug that into your phone. There, that little doohickey into your headphone jack. You don't have to do it right now, but when you're gonna play it, so. I have to fucking do splits to get across the table. <laughs> All right, here we go. <clears throat> I'm just, goddamn, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm just going to do the greatest hits here for you. Or the stuff that I recognize. We're going to do the monkeys, the birds, and the bees, and the something. I can't read the rest of it because it's cut off. HP <laughs> Lovecraft. I don't know what the hell that is. I didn't know he put out albums. It's his rap album he did in 68. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. Cthulhu the Hurdy Gurdy Man from Donovan. Elvis, Elvis from Elvis Presley, the 68 comeback. Which I love. Um, Mr. Wonderful from Fleetwood Mac. I love Fleetwood Mac. Not necessarily that era of it, but I do like them. Laugh if you want. It's fun. I mean, I just like them. (laughs) Canned Heat. uh, Living the Blues. uh, Canned Heat. Boogie with Canned Heat. Uh, Buffalo Springfield, Last Time Around. Deep Purple, The Book of Telesian. That's probably the most metal we're going to get. Yep. <clears throat> Blue Cheer, also sort of rockish, metalish. Yeah, they kind of help. Vince Bus Erupt, Eruptum, another Fleetwood Mac record. Uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Child is Father to the Man, <clears throat> Jefferson Airplane, Crown there of Creation, go. and uh, Shades of Deep Purple. I'm assuming that's like a collection. Uh, Grateful Dead record. I don't give a shit about them. Uh, <laughs> the Doors, Waiting for the Sun. Love the Fuck Doors. Yeah. And I got a Davida came out from Iron Butterfly. Oh, that's you know that's that's it's kind of close. Yeah, <clears throat> one of my favorite bands, and I'm not joking. Uh, Saucer full of secrets from Pink Floyd. Nice. And Harry uh, turned on the radio, <clears throat> so that's what Harry's doing here in the movie. Anyway. In, ser- in search of uh, the lost cloud, which is a Moody Blues record. Uh, let's see what we got here: the Zombies, Odyssey, and Oris. The Kinks, the Kinks are the village. A lot of people credit the uh, Davies for John Davies, whatever the cat and the Kinks for discovering distortion. That's supposedly true. I don't know. Well, there you go. There's some brutal. Uh, Wheels of Fire from Cream. If you any Eric Clapton fans out there, uh, Astral Weeks from Van Morrison, Electric Ladyland from uh, Jimi Hendrix, Beggar's Banquet from Rolling Stones, and the only thing I really have to give a lot of love to on here is the Beatles White Album. Yeah. And uh, now I will play you something very funny. I don't know why nobody thinks this is funny. Dr. Ross Sewage, listen to the podcast. Listen to my comedy. It's funny. Everybody loves it. Come on, Ross. Okay, I'm going to have to lean with my microphone here. Let me know when you're playing. Okay, i got to look it up. I will unmute you, sir. Hold on a minute. This isn't too loud. Oh, it's fine. I got it on here. And this is... I'm going to have to start it and restart it because it looks like it's going to start midway through it. Say, if there's an ad, just let me know. If there's not, then I'll I'll fire it up. It's ready. 
All right. Come on. Yeah, there it is. Hallowed be thy name. The words of the Bible are a guiding light for the faithful. Now, the spoken word of God can be heard anytime, and God said, <laughs> anywhere. What the fuck? Introducing Wonder This is what Bible, you sent me. The incredible Bible that speaks. And this the is Lord real. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Wonder <laughs> Bible presents the entire I Old and New Testaments in an unforgettable presentation. Simply turn on your Wonder Bible and a pleasant <laughs> voice reads the book to you. Just listen as it's the like words on the page come It's like a Pokedex for alive. Christians. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard. The Wonder Bible I touch children. To the my wife has gospels, no idea. Psalms, this is real more. too. I'm, it's not Easily fake. Skip to any book, chapter, or verse in seconds. Portable. Take it on the go. Listen while like driving Jurassic as a Park source music. of inspiration. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. <laughs> then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Is that and the real voice on it? Yes. Good times and bad. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. <laughs> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ideal for the visually impaired. You are the light of the world. The spoken word of God can now be heard anywhere with the incredible Wonder Bible. <laughs> it's like a fucking trapper keeper for the Bible. I don't know why, and I've said that to so many people. It's like they don't think I it's never funny. Watched it. <laughs> You know what I think when, uh, if somebody was next to me taking a shit and they were playing their more, Bible. I've got one more thing to play. <laughs> and they're playing their Bible and it's just like, with God, you are one with him. And he's just taking <laughs> it's a... It's fucking amazing. Some guy's in the stall next to me dropping a log. <laughs> it's, with the power of God, you are forgiven. It's like... <laughs> it's fucking... It's amazing. All right. Now, the next thing I'm going to play you... This actually just came out on Blu-ray Tuesday. It's fucking creepy. Um, Up in Smoke is finally out on Blu-ray. I saw it at Target. I bought it. Yeah, it was and, like 10 uh, bucks, and I was like, woo! My father is... This is my father talking to me every day. Your mother and me would like for you to cozy up to the Finkelstein boy. He's uh, he's a bright kid, and uh, he's going to military It's my father school. talking to me. I'm Sean. Remember, he was an Eagle Scout, and would you shut up? We're not going to have a family brawl. And a retard. We put up with a hell of a lot. Let's wait. Build your goddamn muscles, huh? You know, you could build your muscles picking strawberries. You abandoned stoop. It's classic. Shit, maybe I can get you a job with United Fruit. I got a buddy with United Fruit. It's my father, no joke. Get you started. Start with strawberries, you might work your way up to these goddamn bananas. <laughs> oh, there's a butt. There's when some... are right, you going to get your act together? I don't know where we're at in this movie. I'm going to say, based on our time here, the 46-minute, about 47-minute mark, you got the first uh, Mr. Skinless here. And that's uh, some, some lady Comes butt. my dad. Now listen. Best part. Don't walk away from me when I'm talking to you. You get a goddamn job before sundown, or we're shipping you off to military school with a goddamn Finkelstein shit kid. Son of a bitch. <laughs> An accurate portrayal of my father. That's awesome. Anyway. 
That was fun. Yeah, I don't know, man. You gotta love Night of the Living Dead. But yeah, Up and Smoking, buy it now, finally, on Blu-ray, after all this time. Yeah, it's like 10 bucks, and you can get it. I saw it at Target. I haven't seen it at Walmart or anything. Nice little slip cover. I'd say just go to Target. Uh, $10, got a nice little slip cover, as you were saying. Beautiful, very vibrant cover. Uh, People that smoke weed and they go shopping, that'll stick out like a sore thumb, so... If you got red eyes, you're going to see that yellow slip cover and be like, holy shit, man. I saw it sitting there. Well, I didn't know it was coming out, and it wasn't on... I didn't either. Like, it's more expensive on Amazon. When I went to Target, I was like, dude, it's fucking up in smokes already out, and it's $10. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that nobody had... It wasn't on the High Def Digest like release date list. I yeah. highly recommend that, by the way. High Def Digest re- release date list. Whoops. As I break everything. But... <laughs> <laughs> You can you can go on that list and it'll show you everything that's coming out, even like exclusive still books wherever you can buy it, blah blah. But somehow nobody had up in smoke. It's like Paramount's just like we're putting it out today, and I found it in there and bought it. Do you have another drinky? Or do you just have those two? I should have brought you something. I didn't. You're fine. I'm a rat turd bastard. I usually bring something to drink, but up and broke. Well, that came from the crib because I'm damn sure not rolling the money. Might go get something here a second. You need a beverage? Yeah. If you can get a cup, I can give you, uh, I can give you, uh, some of the zero. Yep. Hell yeah. Well, anyway, uh, hello. What's her name? Uh, well, you're live on Phantasm Podcast right now. I need to press it. Who do we got? You, you really are. He and I are really recording. I, yeah, we are. We really are recording. Who is it? It's Key. Oh, okay. It's uh, Veronica Morgue. It's my uh, other half. So How are you feeling? So I'll leave you to that. <laughs> there we go. Um, Pretty good. The woman there is... Uh, okay. The fuck's her name? Uh, Judith Ridley, who plays Judy, uh, she was in uh, another George Romero film. Uh, what is that fucking movie called? There's Always Vanilla. It's in that three-pack that Arrow put out, and it's Summer of Fear, There's Always Vanilla, and The Crazies. Uh, Judy that you see in that last scene... Um, she is in that film, so little tidbit there. And then we got uh, Harry here, late and great Carl Hardman, and uh, you got Marilyn Eastman, and they are. Uh, this is about to be one of the most iconic scenes in cinema. Is whenever the uh, the daughter turns on mother with the trowel and which actually is on most of the covers is the the little girl uh, which is uh, Karen which is uh, Kira Sean I think that's what her name is I don't something like that I'm not good with with these uh, but yeah oh, the the doctor's back welcome back doctor 
setting the scene here. It's not right now, I don't think, where she travels her. I think it's later. Sorry about that. Uh, it was uh, <clears throat> Veronica Mord, my new uh, lady friend. I named her that. That's not her real name. The doctor is off the books, ladies. But you can still send him uh, your your used panties in the mail for his... And pantyhose. Yeah, for his uh, personal viewing. Masturbatory pleasures. I wasn't going to get that far into it, but yeah. It's okay, that's what they're for. <laughs> I want to I smell every one of my fans' vaginas. It's not cheating if you just smell it. I want to smell your butt, too. You can look and smell, but you can't touch. Vaginas, so. let me smell that scented hose. Anyway... <laughs> Sorry about the intrusion there. She didn't understand. Didn't know about that. She's been very sick. She actually fell yesterday and almost broke her damn foot. Jesus. <clears throat> and messed the other foot up, too. She sprained her ankle and almost broke. She was in flip-flops, which is a really bad thing to do when you're trying to burn garbage. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know. Burning garbage was legal. It must be in Ohio. Anyway, um, I'm sorry about that, folks. Anyway, uh, sorry, Corey. You can edit all that out. Um, nope. We're, we're, we're done. just leaving it raw. Done Bye. editing. This is all at once. We're live. <sighs> We got it, man. We're live. Here I am. Uh, sorry about that, folks. Anyway, uh, yeah, so 68, not really, whatever. The Doors, I guess, and the Beatles, probably right. my favorite things from the Pink yeah, Floyd. Yeah, the White Album. Because Pink Floyd really crazy. still wasn't. Yeah. I can say, Pink Floyd, to me, really hit their, their peak in the 70s, you know, like Metal was probably the first record yeah, sure. that I, and then Dark Side of the Moon, of course, and then so on and so on. Great band. And uh, the, whatever, Division Bell, I love. The last album that they did with, uh, when the, when they actually toured it. That yeah. was the last thing. It wasn't the last thing they put out under that moniker, but... You know, <clears throat> I never got tired of listening to them. I always got tired of listening to a lot of the classic rock bands, but I like Pink Floyd. Not that I get tired of it, but... Uh, I never got tired of Pink Floyd. I don't know why. I never did. I wouldn't say I'm tired of it, but the you know the headspace I need to like sit there and really... I always appreciate it because it's so different, and the fact that it was popular. What, are you talking about Pink Floyd? Yeah. Oh, see, I can listen to it whenever. Yeah. Like, I can, but I don't like put it on. But when it's on, I'm just like... You know, it's it's they're great. I don't know, man. It's, it's good listening. A lot of people think they're over. They're great. I'd give me that over Zeppelin any day. Oh, oh yeah. See Zeppelin, I can't. Yeah, I can't do it. It's too. Can't do it. It's too much folk stuff, and it's not rock. Like you know, it's it's just. Let's see if Corey can get this. What is Doctor Vincent West's favorite classic rock band? Your favorite classic rock band? They're from Australia. ACDC. Yes, sir. But my. I love you. I love you too, man. See, we I get it. You do get it. You do get me. Um, the Wyatt album has my two favorite Beatles tracks on it. Really? Which are those two songs? Can you name the two? Helter Skelter, it has to be one. That's one. Uh, Revolution 9. No, great song. But the whole album is fantastic. I have no idea on the other one. Back in the USSR? Yep. Really? Love it. Weird. That's very. I would. I was joking. I no, actually, it's great. I actually, got a couple tries. My favorite Beatles record is. Uh, I want to say it's my favorite record, but it has my two favorite. Beatles nice. Songs What's your favorite Beatles record? We totally went off the death metal thing here today because we're in the sixties. Thank you, <laughs> yeah, George. We got to be in the mode. Love you, George. Um. I really love Sgt. Pepper because it's fucking weird. Dude, that you know what? The, it's I don't, so goddamn weird. Do you know what that just, is? It's just acid. Well, let's talk about that a second. That's that album, amazing. in my opinion, is the first progressive rock album ever recorded. Agreed. Yeah. Because it's not like anything it else. And it's amazing. You can knock the Beatles and say they're over. It's, they're not. They're, they're, they're They started everything. John Lennon is fucking genius. And Paul McCartney. They all were yeah, fucking the, those Sgt. Pepper's and, Lonely Hearts Club Band. I would 
probably say that's my favorite. It's so good. Because it's just different. Yeah. My favorite album, though, everybody will give me. That, that's not my favorite record. I just love that record. But my favorite Beatles record, I'm going to get made fun of for. Magical Mystery Tour? Yeah, I love that Love record. that one. That's really close. I like. Is that bad? Then I no, like that no, no, record? no, no, no. See, I think a lot of that's people my, think that's bad. That's my second favorite. Oh, God. Come on. So yeah, good, no, it's, man. That one is more, almost more acid in a different way. You can tell that they were just on fucking drugs, and it was amazing. Magical Mystery it's Tour. Good, good, good stuff. I don't know. It's it's hard to explain the two. It's great. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, and you and there's a lot of people think they're over. I don't think they are. I'm a big fan, and I always liked him. My uncle was a big fan of him, and he got me into all my rock music. You've Strawberry heard Fields podcast. Forever. That's, uh... That's, it's Mystery Tour. No, that's Sergeant Pepper. Double check that. I'm pretty sure that's Sergeant Pepper. No. It's Sergeant Magical Mystery Tour. It is? Yeah. Sure is. Well, yeah, it's a great record. I love all that shit, man. That shit's good. All of it's good. I mean, I... Actually, no, I think that is uh, Sergeant Pepper. It is. I thought so, but I didn't want to rub your feathers. You're beautiful. It was released as a double A-side single with Penny Lane. Penny Lane... It was recorded Which during Pink the Floyd s- covered. It was recorded during the sessions for Sgt. Pepper, but it was ma- it was like a B-side. I love that song. That song's rocking, man. It's great. Yeah. It's good to listen to in your hot. That's what I'm saying. All their stuff's really good for that. Um It is. Especially okay, yeah, the, the Fool the Fool on the Hill, that's and I am the Walrus. That's God, that shit's good. Yeah. Abbey Road is a great album too. I like here's what I like the Beatles for, especially Sgt. Pepper and Magical Mystery Tour, which I've been listening to fairly recently, which is kinda cool we're doing this. Um so I like to listen to just whatever. If if I'm in my car, I listen to like a hundred different things before I get out. Um, the Beatles, really, really good for just driving around and listening sure. to stuff. It's relaxing. I don't, I don't like sharing the Beatles with other people. Like, it's just weird. Like, nobody wants to be like, yeah, let's hear the Beatles unless I you're do. getting fucked up. But for me, being by myself in my own headspace, the Beatles really help my creative mind. And, you know, it's inspiring music. Just cause it is. It's good. But it's also perfect like background music that can set your mind up to, to do things it's really nice and that's what they did you know <clears throat> I like it I mean my whole thing with it uh, I, I have to be in a mood to listen to them but I like them I mean you know and it, when I listen yeah. to them I listen to the whole fucking record like I don't listen yep. to hits I don't do the hits on that stuff like I just listen no. to that stuff and I can't really do the 50s stuff it's a little too it's too poppy I mean I get it it's important I get it You know, that's but. more for like young girls at the time I don't even think young girls they just go straight into I'll tell you something aggravating they put out a live blu-ray a couple of years ago that I bought at an FYE that went out of business and you can't even enjoy the concert because all you hear is women screaming yeah like you cannot enjoy the show it's just women screaming. I'm not making that up. Right. And I'm sure that's legit, but it's like you can't enjoy the music. It's like, ah, and they're like, occasionally <laughs> hear a guitar or like something. Right. And that's it. So I don't know. I'm making a lot of noises here tonight. <laughs> I'm getting used to it. When in Rome. That was the first time in the, uh, the Stage Diver Studio for Phantasm. I've been here doing my uh, Balls on Bass podcast few times we're on episode three on that so that's also on the network um with me and and uh my cousin byron so if you're into baseball then that's a podcast for you it's not a serious baseball podcast we don't give a fuck so 
if you're into that kind of thing then check that out too there's all kinds of other uh, great podcasts on the network so stagediverradio.com oh and a shot up the middle there and that's going to be a base hit for number 33 hey you got some sweet legs there thanks hey um I got a question you got any naked pictures of your wife excuse me you want to see some pictures of my wife well you know what I do have I do have a podcast on my phone it's pretty awesome it's called Balls on Base no kidding yeah, and it's on Tate Diver Radio. You can find it on TateDiverRadio.com or on iTunes. Maybe after, if you like a couple of episodes, you can show you some naked picture of your wife. Wow, I don't even know what to say right now. Thank you. The gift that keeps on giving, man. All right, well, I guess I'll have to check it out. Balls on base, right? Balls on base, Tate Diver Radio. All right, well, good luck out there. Hope you make it to second base. The actual second base, not with my wife. <laughs> Too late. My favorite is Phantasm. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I just like that. I do too. Um, No, seriously. Of course, we've been here for a long time, but we're on our new home now. We're in the studio, not in my uh, living room, even though that worked out just fine. But it's weird because we never evil gets an upgrade. We recorded once in your new home. Yeah, and then and it's gone. So what happened with that? Don't we wouldn't even have to say what it is. What happened? Did well, we did we did three episodes that night. You've got ever, all of them, though, right? Cryptopsy's up. It's been up for a little while. And the, uh, we recorded uh, the soon-to-be, the, the Paul Ryan, uh, we did Warlock 2. Um, that's still good. That's done, though. You yeah, got it's ready that. to go. Okay. Um, it's I'm not lost. I slacked off on the, the no, it's fine. remaining parts I need to finish. Um, it's all good. And then we did, and I'll just go ahead and say it, we did uh, an episode for, it was the second Immolation episode. Uh, Episode because we did the one with actually with Dawn of the Dead with uh, right. Ross and Rob and we put them on there and then this one was going to be Hell Night and uh, going through saving and I was trying to get it up yesterday and just finish it and it the the file corrupted so it just I it's gone so I didn't I didn't back it up. We apologize about yeah. that. That's a great. I mean, it's a hell of a Blu-ray release too. Probably my second favorite. release I mean, this honestly, year. after we get a couple more of these out, I would like to actually maybe redo that because they deserve. They really do. They and that movie's it. the shit. Too. And the way we had it set up too was, you know, to kind of the movie's so good. Because what Doctor West did this time, this is when they were touring with Mayhem. Um, yep. So they. He he grabbed uh, Bob and and they did a, a track by track and stuff of uh, Atonement, which was our 2017 album album of the year for Phantasm and from Immolation. Um, so and then he got Ross in a separate interview doing a similar thing, just you know, kind of just talking about all kinds of shit. So <sighs> excuse me, bless you. Excuse me. So uh, Allergy, yeah, hell. you got two different interviews and two different. Uh, <coughs> takes of of this band so it's pretty awesome you know the first time we had them both together and the second time uh we got them two different places but you know the way we had it set up for for the the episode you know we had uh rob's first and uh or bob's first and uh then at the end we had ross's and we we played it out pretty beautifully so we'll we'll get that up we'll we'll make it up we're gonna re-record it yeah, I think you heard should. it here, kids. We're gonna re-record it with the same movie too. Yeah, absolutely. Love yeah. that movie. Too, I made the poster for it. I don't want to fuck that up. So. You know, the movie actually they deserve it. If you haven't bought it, it's fifteen bucks at Best Buy. Really? Yes. I'll have to get. I'm it. telling you, go in there with your wallet full, kids. Hear me out there. This is this is countrywide. 
Best Buy is carrying several different strange back and current catalog titles from uh, <clears throat> Screen Factory. I just got the uh, Salt and Precinct 13 and Prince of Darkness steelbooks in those motherfuckers. That's awesome. And here's another little tidbit from the doctor. They will price match Amazon. Has to be shipped and sold by them, but they will price match them. So I got those steelbooks for like fourteen fifty six piece. Yeah, and they try to sell them for like <clears throat> 40 So if you want to get a good one. Um... But yeah, so they have a lot of Scream Factory titles and Shout Factory and Shout Select titles at Best Buy now. They do. And apparently every store in the country has different shit. <clears throat> so yeah, I think <clears throat> ours gets some pretty good ones. So, But yeah. Uh, the next, uh, talk about some, I need to get a segment uh, drop for this. We'll, we'll come up with something eventually um, about new Blu-ray releases. Uh, one I'm looking forward to. do a whole I, show on that. Yeah, the one I got ready uh, that, that I'm... I'm all set for is the um, Killer Clowns from Outer Space the I just US release. It. I just ordered it. Yep, I pre-ordered mine because, <clears throat> guys, I don't know if it still is. I'm actually going to check for you right now. But seventeen fifty-six from Deep Discount. That's how much it was on Amazon too. Well, that's where I got it. Because seventeen fifty-six kids. It, it, before it was like way up. Yeah, it was forty. It was thirty-nine ninety-five. Right now. It is seventeen sixty seven yeah. with free shipping with an Amazon Prime account. So, if you guys really want that, and here's the thing, I've I've read a lot of a lot of people when that got released. All these UK assholes were like, oh, "I'm just gonna keep my old version. That one's way better." It's like, well, this is the first time Arrow's released a US version yeah. of Killer Clowns in their print. So, <clears throat> otherwise, you have I that know shit the MGM version, yeah, which is ghetto, and that that seven ninety nine Walmart one with the yeah, it's with fucking that, it's an ugly. Uh, you know, some of those, the Walmart ones where they put the uh, little poster on top of it, yeah, it's like gay. a little sticker. Some of those are really nice, like the the oh, Return sorry. of the Living Dead one I have, and of course I have all three prints of that. Um, thanks to the doctor, I have the the Scream Factory one for my birthday last year. Two years um, ago, it was two, wasn't it? It's two, yeah, man. We've been doing okay. this for a minute. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, the one I got, it didn't have the poster, but what I did do. Or did it have the poster? You did get the poster for me, didn't you? You got the poster, baby. I know I got it, but I don't remember if you got it for me or not. Yes, okay. I got it for you. Because, speaking of John Russo, he, if you if you guys missed out on the uh, getting the poster for the Return of the Living Dead Screen Factory Blu-ray Collector's Edition, and it was the poster that came with like a different cover. Whatever you do, this thing's weird, just... Scroll it, read it okay. for yourself right now while you're talking. There's the little proofy for you. Okay. Are you happy? Let's see. Um, hang on, I have to read it again. Uh, John Russo has has <clears throat> those limited posters for sale at his table whenever you go meet him. Nice. So if you missed out on it, you can still get them. There's your proof through the man yourself. Okay, so I probably I'll have to be somebody's off. somebody's happy right now. I I'll think I just to, made their night. <clears throat> I'll have to be off uh, early for that one. Happy? Yeah, that's pretty good. Now, what about <clears throat> Mister uh, Mister Sanders? He basically just ignored that in that and told me that when I asked again, which is on a different email, that he's like he'll be at his merch booth. I'm like, all right. Yeah, I mean, but the yeah. one that I thought he was going to tell me to go to hell, we got. Immediately. I mean, he responded back to that almost immediately. Wow. 
So, yeah, it's done. I told you. It's crazy. I know I talk out of my ass sometimes, but it's legit. I do, too. <clears throat> now, I will say, uh, but yeah, Killer Clowns, I'm looking forward to. It's it's the first Arrow U.S. release of it to us, so thank you, Arrow, for finally giving us that. The, it looks, and it's dirt cheap. The artwork looks amazing for it, and that's partially the reason I want it. I love Killer Clowns. Uh, I wish it had the soundtrack with it. Is that yeah, weird? No, not at all. It's pretty iconic. Uh, they're actually, I don't know if it's that, they're putting it out in theaters in certain places uh, where they have the live orchestra doing the music for it, like the actual one. It's crazy. God, yeah. Uh, I know Monster Palooza. I think it's the one, the Jersey one. I don't remember which one. I'm, I'm. I plugged one of their their posts recently. They have a huge Killer Clowns reunion, and they have the Chiodos Brothers. They that, have a convention this costumes. weekend, I think. That might be the one. Yeah, it's this they, weekend. Yeah. yeah, they got it. So this one's a different tribute one. to Rick Baker too. There, it's awesome. Uh, then that's not the New Jersey one. The New Jersey one's coming up. Yeah, next. this one's the this one's California. The, one's, or the Burbank. It's Burbank. Yeah, yeah. that's why. That's but why. I didn't see the Killer Clowns there, so that may be the one you're thinking of. That's in Jersey. Are they already no? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see it on there. I know they're doing one. Or maybe it's not Monster Palooza. Something in... Monster Palooza looks kind of cool, though. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm excited to try out Texas Frightmare Weekend. I heard that this yeah, is it's like epic. the one. It's epic, man. This is the 13th year, so they brought all the Jasons in. They're doing a uh, Camp Crystal Lake-themed uh, party for Friday that night. fucking rules. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I want to dress up. Uh Go as, think, go as Crispin Glover. That's what I was thinking. Everybody's going to be a counselor. So I want I you to like do the to. dance, too. I yeah. want video of it. Don't tell Corey to stay. Y'all have heard if you've listened to this podcast. You know what? <laughs> They'll play it. It's Lion. Love is a yeah, Lie. Love is a Lie by Lion. <clears throat> I got to think on it, because I would love to... Like, I want to actually be people from the film, not just like right. a camp counselor. It's like everyone's going to do that. I would like to be one of the kids that fucking dies. Uh, I know it's tacky on air, but... I've got some money put back so I can get some Jason autographs. Hell yeah. If that's okay. I do too. I'm going to give you a hundred spot. Hopefully that'll get me a couple. I've only bought one photo. Four and five. That's all I want. I've only bought one photo op so far, which is bad because I need to buy a bunch more. But the only one I got was the Ted White one that's happening. I just want that man's autograph and I want uh, the gentleman that plays Roy. Tom Morgo. I have to have it. <coughs> I don't so know why I just want it. That's who I use in the video game. If you all play yeah, I'm, I'm, on PlayStation, three weeks from to going to with. Texas, and I'm really excited. I've never been to <clears> Dallas, <throat> never been to Texas. Uh, so, looking forward. I'm gonna. Corey's a huge Astros fan. He's gonna go to an Astros <laughs> game, and he's a huge Rangers fan. He's gonna go watch the Rangers play baseball too. Oh, Y'all can talk to Byron about that. But anyway, well, here's what I will be doing. <clears throat> this is actually really cool. Me and Mrs. Gorkrest are getting there the day before the convention so we're going on the third and uh at 805 we will be going to globe life park to see the red Sox play the texas rangers well that sounds fun you if you all don't know this and we'll touch on this we'll let you do it on your other podcast but Corey wants to go to a baseball game in every stadium in the league i do at so least one i wouldn't even have to stay there's no rules it's just i want to see every ballpark in the country that's one of my life goals and you got to set little goals for yourself but this one's like a life a life goal for me i've i've been to camden yards which is the baltimore orioles and i've been to uh turner field which is now suntrust park with the the atlanta braves and then now i'll be going to uh 
Globe Life, which is the Rangers, which they're actually about to, to change it, you know, here in a couple of years. So I'll be seeing it before it goes away, and they make a new park. Nice, um, that's exciting. Yeah, and I I want to go to Fenway, you know. The big ones, even if I don't get to do it, I'd like to see some of the older ones like Fenway Park and Dodger Stadium. Um, you know, I, I don't know why I haven't been to a Marlins game yet, They, but it's pretty ugly. It's an indoor one. Um, and I'm, I plan on going to City Field to see the Mets next year, so that'll be cool. Maybe a Yankees game, go to the Bronx. We'll see what happens with all that, but that's for another podcast let me ask you something do you want to give people uh i want to talk about one thing but do you want to give people kind of look up and give them some stuff that's coming out you're excited about maybe blu-rays or yeah i was kind of getting at that before i got off topic um i will say yeah we'll, we'll start with the uh the arrow release of killer clowns from outer space and that's for us u.s guys and gals so i'm really looking forward to that coming out um so don't give me any shit. Uh, In the Mouth of Madness, the John Carpenter, they just announced that. That's not coming out till July. Tell them, tell everybody listening what I did when you told me about those releases. You said, holy shit? <clears throat> Here's the thing. Those are three John Carpenter titles that I absolutely love. I can't believe that they got In the Mouth of Madness because that's a Warner Brothers title. I don't know how the fuck they got it. It's kind of like House on Haunted Hill in one of those Vincent Price box sets. I don't know how the fuck they got it. I guess Warner Brothers just sucked it up and dealt with it. Memoirs of an Invisible Man, I have wanted on Blu-ray. That's another Warner Brothers title. And how they got that, thank you, Scream Factory, because that's bought. The other movie, if I'm not mistaken, if you can tell me what it is, we'll look it up and kind of do a little thing here on it. I'm pretty sure that's a made-for-TV movie. He did two. He did Elvis with Kurt Russell, and if I'm not mistaken, the other one is that other thing they're putting out. The Great Silence? Yeah, I think it's a made-for-TV movie. Yeah, it says, released for the first time on Blu-ray in North America on the 50th anniversary of its original release. Unforgiving snow-swept frontier group of bloodthirsty bounty hunters led by the vicious Loco prey on a band of persecuted outlaws who have taken the hill. I mean, is it a made-for-TV movie, or was that actually in theaters? Is this even the right thing? I don't know. It popped up with the other ones. Let's see. Pull uh, up his filmography and find Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I don't know. I had the original... It's confusing. I'm Most not. It's it. a. It's a bizarre title. I'm very excited to get my hands on it, but I'm not really sure what it is. For example, Deadly Blessing was a made-for-TV movie that Screen Factory put out as one of their first titles. as an old Wes Craven film, and a featured commentary track. Commentary track by Sean Clark, a friend of ours. Um, trying to go back on our messages here to find it. Oh, here it is. Oh. Uh, Someone's watching me. That's it. Is it a made-for-TV movie, though, is, the, is my question for you, Mr. Gorecrest? Because I honestly don't know. I'm not familiar with that title. Never saw it on VHS to rent. Never saw it as a kid. I'm a big John Carpenter fan. That one totally slipped by me. I feel like a fucking heel because I don't know. It's not even on Amazon. The other two are. Interesting. It may be a direct-only thing. What I'm saying, can you do like a Wikipedia or something on it where it like tells us what the fuck that movie is? Yeah, because it feels like it's a made-for-TV movie. 
I could be wrong, kids. I've been wrong before. Not a lot, but sometimes I'm wrong. Not usually on John stuff, though, but whatever. I'm trying here. No, you're good, man. I'm sorry to bother you with it. I just don't know what the fuck it is. Yeah, someone's watching me. Is it his discography, his filmography? Yeah, made for a TV horror film directed by John Carpenter. Thank you very much. The Doctor is always in. Lauren Hutton and Adrian Barbeau. The Doctor who, uh, is always in. Got announced at Texas Frightmare, so I'm excited for that. Corey's going to go by and breastfeed on those huge tits. <laughs> John used to fuck her, too. Oh, I bet. Oh, he did. He was fucking her. Here's you a funny story about about Adrian Barbeau and John Carpenter and Wes Craven. When Wes Craven was shooting Swamp Thing with the late great Dick Durock, who is Swamp Thing. Don't ever try fucking yep. with that DC or I'll blow your buildings up. Anyway, that was a joke, but just don't do it. Um, Adrian Barbeau would come on set. You know, she's in the in the R version of that, the X version that was released only in Europe, that which can you cannot get on Blu-ray. I have the DVD. It's worth a shitload of money. She's completely nude in a dream sequence. And when apparently the only day on set that John Carpenter came and was there was the day they had her nude with her bush and her giant tits hanging out. <laughs> and apparently she, she got so mad because he was so jealous and being a butthole about it, she told him that she was fucking West just to get him to leave. Nice. And they got into like a big five. But they were married at the time. Just some fun stuff there. Now we'll never get John Carpenter on here after I air out his bad laundry, but whatever. <laughs> it's all public knowledge if you, if you want it. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I read it, so it wasn't like I knew him. Um, like I wish I did. Which I wish he but, was my uh, father. But <laughs> Blu-ray releases. Uh, Last House on the Left, another Arrow title coming. Finally, we get a real print of that. It's a fucked so up that, movie. Yep. Uh, May 22nd, that comes out. $35 right now to pre-order. Uh, no, thank you. The It's Alive trilogy. I don't know what that is. I'm just going to buy it. It looks really nice. It's it's Screen Factory, isn't it? I know, but I don't know what that is. I don't either. I've never seen it. Any of them. But it looks cool. Uh, that's the the beauty of, of the, you know, of this new thing about, you know, the resurgence of horror on Blu-ray. Um, you know, it, it looks more of like a collector thing and that's why I want it it's actually pretty cheap 35 bucks you get three movies on blu-ray so um they probably all suck but you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stab at it and I'm gonna get that um what else we got the return of swamp thing it's from MVD hold on one second on that you're a genius thank you for bringing that up but I want to I want to talk to everybody about MVD real quick I bought Black Eagle which has Shokasuji, which is my favorite from the 80s Ninja movies. You can get some of their titles on Was it. Was that a Van Damme movie? Oh, it is. Yeah. And it's 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 a very special Van Damme movie because it's never been available before on DVD, much less fucking Blu-ray. I got it off eBay. It was a promo copy for some cat in Ohio. And I get it in the mail. It comes in my crisp mailbox in Florida, and I get it out. It's still sealed. It has the rental tag like a, from a video store with oh, a little nice. blue sticker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to say, the folks at MVD, if you're listening to Dr. West, you can have all my money. You're putting out some great stuff. You know what they're putting out next? I got next? Lionheart. <laughs> Dude. Done. 
They're the guy. If you guys aren't familiar with MVD, they put out Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I have on that too. Blu-ray. I have that as well. That was really the first time I had heard of them. It might be the second first. release was Black Eagle. Yep. Or or no no it's like the third whatever it's Black Eagle was their first real big release like of stuff that I knew besides the Killer Tomatoes thing. Some of the other stuff they put out a punk documentary which I can't think of the name of right now that I bought. Um, I find you find this stuff on eBay really cheap. People are selling promos of it, but MVD. What a what a what an interesting cool company. Obviously this, a fan, and the, the, the but I'll tell you the quality on that Black Eagle is lots out tits out, buddy. It's it's the shit. Lots out tits out. I just made that up. Yeah, it's and it's from, amazing. Uh, from sounds full, good. From Full Moon Pictures, and this is actually really cool. Uh, it's only twenty three bucks, and it's the it's called the Puppet Master Retro, and it, it comes in a really it's it's a VHS. Is that out yet? It comes out on the twenty fourth. Okay. It's got a uh, the packaging is a VHS like style box, like the size and everything, and it's got the Blu-ray in it, and then it also has a uh, one of those little retro figures of Blade, like like one of those right there, like how they've been doing the retro action figures and stuff. Yeah. So it's got that. It's got the the Blu-ray DVD combo, and then it comes all in a VHS box. Twenty three bucks from Full Moon can't beat that. Coming soon from Full Moon Entertainment will be a film we picked that's awful for Eric Cutler from Autopsy. <laughs> yeah, we definitely. Um, yeah, if you guys don't know the Charles Band treatment, then we're going to show it to you eventually. So. It's coming, folks. It's coming soon from Phantasm. From the creators. You will get a bad film if you give us a bad interview. A from bad the creators film. of the Blood Red Throne holiday special. Indeed, sir. Uh, this is just a. This isn't horror, obviously, but. Actually, this is out. I didn't know this was out. The Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero is on Blu-ray now. Yeah, it's a Warner Archive title. It's amazing. I want to also mention another Warner Archive title. That I, <coughs> did, they, you, they, did you shit? It smells like a like a turd in here. No, no. I don't have gas. Whew. I swear Maybe to you, I don't have gas. I don't have any... No. Maybe it's a lemon. I'm proud of my gas, actually. <laughs> um, this com- I don't know when this comes out, <laughs> but... Um, uh, Vestron is putting out Beyond Reanimator, which so. is a made-for-sci-fi channel movie. I know it's, everybody's it's, freaking out about it, but it's, it's a made-for-sci-fi it, channel film. It's a bad film. movie, but we're getting a good Blu-ray release of. Oh, it. I'm gonna look. I buy everything, and I want to tell everybody about this because Corey may not know about this yet. This is me being super geek, but I'm pretty sure the Vestron line's about to fold. You think so? I really do, but I will tell you this right That's now. That's because the last like, four as, titles are pretty weak. I mean, they are. Beyond Reanimator, it is, but it isn't because at least it's a Reanimator movie. Look, but. look, I'm open to buying whatever they put out. I just was disappointed because I wanted the fucking Wraith. Yeah. They might still do it. The Wraith. They might be saving some good ones. I mean, The Wraith. Where's had- the Wraith? They had Slaughter. They've High owned that. Come out. Yeah. yeah, that's a great movie. I own, look, I have every title they put out, but here's here's my thing. And will I buy the two new ones? Yes. They both have Jeffrey Combs in it. That's fine. But where is the fucking Wraith? It's not, that's, that's not a Halloween film. Just put the Wraith out. Yeah, Where's the Wraith? They'll get it. Where's if the you guys Wraith, have baby? never seen the Wraith, it has Charlie Sheen, Nick Cassavetes, our boy, my man... The Ice Cream Man. Y'all can guess that when I ain't telling you. Anyway, (laughs) 
I love the Wraith. Um, Are you thinking of the ice cream man with Ron Howard's brother, whatever his name is? Yes. That guy? Yes, and he's also... I have that on Blu-ray. It's worth a lot of money. I can't remember his fucking name. I tried to bring that today, but you were like, eh. I didn't know if that was the one. I thought that was... Oh, no, hell no. I've got that. I got that. Look, let me tell you what's they beautiful about that. They just put an that. Ice Cream Man thing out. Is it that one? Oh, they yeah. They put out a new one. And it's that thing that's worth a ton of money. Yeah. It's nice. Well, it was a Vinegar Syndrome limited edition. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although you can probably find that at a con. You need to go ahead and get it. It's going for about 90 bucks. If you guys are venturing out to Texas, uh, Vinegar Syndrome will be there. Severin you need to seriously there. buy that. And, of course, Arrow presents the whole damn thing. Well, you so. need to buy it for yourself. I'm just telling you right now, Corey. It, I've watched it. It's super gory. I'd ne- uh, I love the movie. I just slept I'd never fucking it. seen it. It's it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I, I Actually, I think I watched it on fucking well, YouTube or something weird. Yeah, I've got it. But um, what was I going to say? Anyway, um, why can't I think of his? Clint Howard. Clint Howard. So Clint Howard is awesome in The Evil Wraith. Speak. Da- uh, Randy Quaid, yeah. one of my favorite comedic actors, is in The Wraith. Put out the fucking Wraith, Vestron. If you're going to go under, put The Wraith out, please, first. And I, I love the new... I'll never get it. They were even saying if they don't put that out. My, my nerd friends that I've been talking no, to on some of these it websites. It on Blu-ray. If they don't put it out, they're going to have to put it out. Because yeah. Lionsgate's not just going to put that out bare bones. They're not going to do it. This no. is the only way that... And I get it. They're trying to go for more obscure stuff. But I'm telling you kids right now, if you're a collector, start. And I'll tell you somebody, uh, a listener that listens to us that Corey and I both know. His name is Douglas. He buys all the Vestron stuff. And he's a smart man because I'm telling you, when that stuff tanks, yep. eBay all money. Although he doesn't do that, I will. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> another line I love... It's a you know it's a subline of of Shout Factory is Shout Select. They've been knocking it the fuck out. Uh, the Burbs oh, yeah. just came out, which it. is amazing. That's already out, guys. Matinee. Yep, Matinee. It's beautiful. Doctor Detroit. This is yeah, that's the one I'm getting at. April twenty fourth, Doctor Detroit, baby. And you you showed me that movie because I've already got it. it. I bought you it off it? eBay like two weeks ago. It's already out. No, got a promo. Guys sells. Pro- There's a guy I've been buying promos from. Off of eBay. I hope I'm not getting you in trouble by broadcasting this, but I won't say your name. He's always got the goods, man. Slipcase, everything. Yep, I've got it. It's gorgeous. That is my favorite Dan Aykroyd film. And I had never seen it before, and you were like, you need to watch this. So Rated R, nasty. It's amazing. Uh, Eaten Alive I don't have yet, but I'm, I'm going to buy that too. That's uh, Severin. The What's Severin uh, Amicus set. That looks really Kids. good, too. If you're a Hammer Horror fan, Amicus box set. See, this is what's taking my money. It's bad enough that, uh, you know, I'm going to a convention with the likes of... Is Amicus there, actually? Or not Amicus, excuse me, uh, Severin there? Yes. They they may have a couple of those left. That's There's why not many I, I'm going to wait on it. If they don't have them, I'll spend the money on it later. But I don't know if I've told you this. There's two. I'm, I'm really trying one. to There's wait on these two movies. two Peter Cushing films in that set. I'm waiting on... Uh, to get to this fucking convention with some money so I can buy some movies. Peter Cushing for Corey. Um, but it's it's bad enough when I have to go to a convention and save money for like, you know, Six Jasons and Brad Dorff and Clive Barker and all these greats. And then, um, you know, then you have Arrow Video and Severin and Vinegar Syndrome all in one con. I'm just like, fuck, man, I'm going to be... <clears throat> you got to take out a loan to go to the motherfucker. And uh, just like this, this is going to be my wallet. It's going to be this trowel daughter-mother kill here. So we finally got that. Here's the thing with this movie, man. Zombies Um, are breaking in. They're they're ready to go. Oh, hold on a minute. You know, I've got completely off track. I apologize. I want to take a second to thank Erie Vaughn for doing a two-fucking-hour interview with me. That's amazing. 
He talks about Sam Hain. And by the way, it's pronounced Sam Hain, kids. That's right out of his mouth. New Jersey, he was originally a drummer and started playing bass. And here's you a fun story. I'm going to give you some excerpts of the interview out of my beautiful mouth for you. Never knew this. The first Danzig record was supposed to be the new Sam Hain record. Nice. And it felt too metally and stuff. So they brought Rick Rubin in. They hired John Christ. And they hired Chuck Biscuits. And I will tell you something. And I talk about with him with this on there. Nothing since Danzig 4, in my opinion, has been worth shit. Yeah. That's the last good. That's with the classic lineup. And Danzig... For everybody listening out there, this is from Erie Vaughn, is a band. It was not Glenn's solo career, like it's treated. Danzig was meant to be a band, like Black Sabbath or right. Dio or whatever. It's supposed to be a band. You know, Dio was Ronnie James Dio, but it was supposed to be a band. Yeah. You know, it wasn't supposed to just be about Ronnie. And same thing with Danzig. So it, it's a special interview. He talks about a lot of going and partying with a lot of crazy people and getting loaded. And he was talking about, I literally came on myself just about. When he tells a story, when they were touring with Black Sabbath on Dehumanizer with Ronnie, and Dio fell in the crowd one night, and the next day, Erie walks up to him in classic Erie Von Stein's like, hey man, save the stage diving for us. Like, you're too too like elegant and little to be out there <laughs> doing that shit. And he just smirked at him and walked off. But yeah, killer interview. Um, it was an honor talking to him. I'm friends with him. He's a photographer. You can look him up. He has a page you can like and everything he's and an eerie photographer but he's his f- photographs are fantastic and i mean the guys in the punk scene if you if you're a sam hayne fan maybe you'll like the interview if you're a danzig fan maybe you'll like that and if you're a classic danzig fan like i am the first four records and excuse me and the uh and the thrall demon sweat live thing that came out there in the middle but 93 but yeah it's good shit i mean i i was blown away and i can't believe we got to talk as long as we did and and uh he wanted to see not a living dead so here we are it's fitting. I, I felt like this is a good time transitioning over uh, into the studio to to plug Mr. Erie Vaughn because he, he literally one of my heroes growing up. The reason that I started playing bass was actually because of Erie Vaughn. A lot of my nice. friends wanted to play bass because of Getty Lee. I was playing bass because of Erie Vaughn. So, and I also told him this is kind of a fun story to tell everybody out there listening. You'll hear it in the interview. I go into quite detail with him about it. I've been in three car accidents listening to Danzig Two Lucifuge. Weird. It is weird. And I told him that, and it, he thought that was really weird. <laughs> He's like, don't listen to it anymore. Never digitally. It was always either cassette or a CD. Three car wrecks, and I wasn't driving in any of them. So I don't know what the deal is. There's some hooba going on in that record. But <laughs> That's intense. True story, though. But, yeah, honor having him on, and, and I hope you guys enjoy that. It's coming up, and hopefully you dig it. It's it's a long interview, too. It's like two hours. So, But, yeah, great guy. I just asked him to do it, and he did it, so. He was very hesitant at first, and I got to talk to his amazing wife. She was very accommodating right before the interview. She was very nice and very friendly, and he's just a fucking it's a fucking childhood hero of mine, man. I was I first I saw Danzig on the first tour. I snuck into a club, and some friends of mine that were <clears throat> like in their early twenties got me into the show, and I was like thirteen, fourteen years old. It's fucking amazing. First Danzig, I stood right in front of Yvonne, and I remember trying to talk to him, and he just snarled at me and walked off in classic style. So. I told oh, yeah. him that too, but yeah, it's cool. And there's the helicopter coming to fly over George Romero's beautiful set in 
Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Speaking of Pittsburgh, we have the uh, <clears throat> we have the Stanley Cup playoffs going on right now, and I'd like to read the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning score for everybody out there listening. Hopefully, I'm not jinxing this because I haven't looked at it. And it is. Oh God, that's not good. It's three-two Lightning, but there's ten minutes and twenty-five seconds left. So, who are they playing right now? The New Jersey Devils. Oh, the Devils. Yeah, it's the first oh, okay. game. So we're we're we got to hold them off. Apparently, it was three-one, and they got a goal recently. So, got to shut them down. Taylor Hall's hot for them right now, so I don't know what's going to happen. So, hopefully, my boys can pull it out here. Missed the playoffs last year, so I'm pretty stoked. Corey's digging them because have his Rangers squadrons on our team. So. Yeah, it's the Tampa Bay Rangers. I'm, I'm totally cool with it. But, yeah. But I think, you know, over the years, this film, <clears throat> I don't know. It just fits. It's classic. Yuri Vaughn's classic. He did some classic stuff. and It's classic. And I don't know what I just did. I think you stopped the film. Go to the chapters unless it just restarts. Sorry, guys, new Blu-ray. Nope, there it is. Amazing. Amazing. We're good. I was trying to see a time counter, but I think it's almost You got to love Sony. It's I think it's magic. Almost, magic it's at Corey's done. fingertips. That's yeah. right. But now we're, we're here at the end with the, the news and all the zombies are, are down. But it's not over yet, guys, because we have this awful end, which I always hated the ending to this just because it's so tragic. I mean... It's awful, but yeah. it's but it's realistic. But you know, Ben is you know, he's the the lone survivor of the night, the only one that can tell everybody what really happened. And, and he he actually fell asleep by the door, just <coughs> just you know, he just fell a fucking sleep. He was done. So there's still zombies walking around everywhere, and the, you know the laws down here now shooting them all with little fucking revolvers and shit. And so as tired as as Ben is, they don't realize that he's not a fucking zombie. And also he's a black man, so automatically... Uh, Ku Klux Klan's there. Yeah, you know, the, the, fucking, <clears throat> the white men of the town are going to fucking shoot at him anyway. I was told... <clears throat> I think we were both told... We were both told by Ken Foray that one of the reason he had the ending he did in Dawn, I believe, was because of the ending in this. It was almost like another step forward. Yeah. And that, <clears throat> did he not talk about that, or am I imagining that? Yeah, he did. So. And also him love being you, a, a supporting uh, African-American actor at that time, even then, was still... He's the shit. Was still iconic, too. I like Dwayne Jones, but I gotta go Ken all the way, baby. That's right. But of course, Dwayne. Dwayne's shit. Dwayne's though. performance Dwayne's opened shit. the door for Tony Todd, baby. Yeah. <clears throat> I will say this: if you guys do not like this film or you don't like the Tom Savini film, watch him again. Give him a chance. You know, I'm not Especially forcing you this to. Criterion. Yeah, pick up the Criterion, get the Twilight Time of the Night, and you're in business. Get Night and Night, and do a 68 1990 back to back. I saw the 1991 at the theater. I skipped school <clears throat> with my late great. Uh, best friend Matt and it was it was a great experience and you know uh, anytime skipping school with him watching horror movies we'd watch Warlock we'd watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 any of the stuff that was out at that time we were skipping school getting high watching watching uh, watching horror save well, the my, other thing, save my was, life he was also kind of pointing a gun at those guys too and 
Like, oh my god, a black man with a gun, and they just fucking smoked him. Yeah, I mean, he's toast. The guy looks like Robert De Niro. He does, kind of. Wow. So yeah, and that's it. I mean, there's the movie. It's got some nice shots at the end. It's very cool, very different too. Apparently, this print. <clears throat> I want to also mention this for the folks at Criterion. Apparently, this print is the one. It, it's so good, and they were so blown away by it that the <clears throat> Film Institute has actually put this Blu-ray in a vault. That's awesome. Like the print of it. This. And then we have this ben whole Dwayne thing. Jones. This whole thing is in the vault. Wow. Now I'm bringing this uh, segment back for us as well. Oh, I forgot that that was on your. I didn't have my thing plugged in. Let's try that again. <laughs> I'm unplugged. I don't know where the hell it is. It's right here. I'm sorry. I'm a dick. <coughs> we, I totally I'm a D. Messed up. Uh, dick, hey, it's whatever. Dick, we're going through dick, the. Dick. We're going through the. Dregs of trying it phase. out. Trying it out. Ooh. <clears throat> There's, look, look, Bill Chili Billy Cardill was in that film. Bill Chili Billy. Bill Chili Billy. <clears throat> I'm a big fan of this film, though. I gotta say, I guess I'll save that for a second. But yeah, it's good shit. Randy Burr was in this film, whoever that is, and Steve Hutzko. I'm sorry, I totally uh, dropped the ball on that one. It's okay. It's kind Let's of my fault. Let's try this again, <clears throat> again. We're gonna do it again. Let's do it again. There we go. So, final thoughts of the uh, Night of Living Dead Criterion Blu-ray. I love it. It's my favorite release so far this year. <clears throat> and it's beautiful, and it was worth every penny. <clears throat> and I paid about 25 bucks for it. I think a lot of people can probably get it probably cheaper than that. <clears throat> I would have paid 50 for it. It's it's the Look at this fucking cover art. That's totally worth it. Look at this cover a, art. It has a nice uh, 50 years. That's some of my favorite there. cover art I've ever seen. Yeah, it's really, really well done. I mean, it's beautiful. And it's got the nice Criterion slipcover. Dude, the you, second you know. disc, <clears throat> which I swear, I kind of want to just put in so you can see it real quick. Can we do that? Are we allowed to do that? I may not have time. No, no, no I just want to just see, not watch the whole thing, just let's watch a few seconds of it. Okay. Can we do that? Let's do it. Let's do it. Real quick. We're going to watch... For Corey's view and pleasure, <clears throat> a little bit of one of our favorite people that inspired this podcast through Corey's vision come to fruition at a Kevin Smith concert of all things. Vision to fruition. So, and this case is going to break and I'm going to shit. Okay, fuck it. I'm not doing anything else with that right now. I'm going to stay there and hang out. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, it's ready. And it's going to be under the supplement stuff, but you'll see it. It's the, uh, it's the, uh, this is some Corey's uh, impression of the George Romero and Don Coscarelli interview from 1979. We don't have audio from this, remember? Doesn't matter. Just so you can see them sitting there drunk. All right. <laughs> I just want you to see that it's real. I got so excited when I found this because it, 
<clears throat> was unaware of this as a fan, and I think it's one of my favorite extras I've ever found, aside from the one I was telling you guys earlier about the Scream Greats Tom Savini thing being a bonus on Just Desserts, the Creep Show documentary Blu-ray. So. So here we go. Which one is it? It's the, uh... No, you were doing it. It's not that. Dailies? Nope. Learning from scratch. TV newsreel. Tones of Terror. I think it's Tones of Terror. No. No. There's Sorry. like a whole bunch of shit. Well, it's it's on here. Limitations oh, yes. into virtue. Dwayne Jones, Judith Riley, Venus Pro trailers. Okay, he went ninety. Okay, try higher learning. That's nope. No, that's okay. That's Toronto International Film Festival. Limitations and cool. see if it's tomorrow or limitations into virtue. Filmmakers. No. Nope. It's on here. I just forget what it's under. Tomorrow. I think it's this. Boom. Yep, Don Coscarelli. Now, this is... I want to see Corey's reaction. I'm going to watch him while he sees two of his heroes come on TV together. On NBC, late at night. Oh, wow, look at that. When I was an infant, and he hadn't been born yet. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Tom. With Tom. Snyder. Is this in 68? 79. 79. So this is after Phantasm came out, so this is why... Well, Phantasm was coming out. Yeah, makes sense. And there's... Horns, Tom's... here comes the horns. There's Tom Snyder. So they're already pissed drunk. Look, you're going to love this. <clears throat> it's going to scroll over and pimp it. Seeing young George and uh, Don is already awesome, so... This is why you buy this stuff. I mean, this is the first... Tom Snyder is the guy that you may have seen him on your Kissology DVDs, because he's who was yep. always interviewing them. Yeah. <clears throat> Tom Snyder was very popular. Cool cat. I'd like to have met him, smoked a joint with him. I don't know, drank a cognac. Cognac. Drank a fine scotch. There he <clears throat> is now, his shirt's unbuttoned. Wow. Pimp. Pimp. <laughs> Done. Pimp. <laughs> Double pimp of horror. <clears throat> Doesn't get any pimper than that. Damn. That is the double pimp right there. And we're, wow. we're talking promoting Dawn of the Dead and Phantasm at the same time. I mean, that's like, wow. Look at Dawn. It's fucking hilarious. There's a funny part on here where they're talking about Star Wars. They all got their unbuttoned suits <clears throat> and shit. It's great. And George is like, Star Wars is kind of cool, but I mean, I want to see people dying. This is before, you know, George doesn't even have his glasses on. He's, he's... Look at that. He's, he's old school. He starts smoking here in a minute. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the good thing about, you know... The Look 70s. at that watch or yeah. bracelet. That's, that's a bracelet. That's a bracelet. It's a weird one. It's gaudy. Love it. Yeah, it's great. Probably has a goddamn scarab on it or something. Yeah, they're just pimping it out on the Tom Snyder show. Look at him. That's crazy. I'm telling you, this was why, I, when I found this, I literally was pissed drunk. I love I was like, how amazing. all three of them, Tom Snyder included, all their sh- shirts around button. They're just like, yeah. <clears throat> That's how they did it back then. That Coscarelli was... literally is just like, you know, Star Wars is okay, but I wanted to see what I wanted my vision to be. It's so cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah, what a great... Oh, I, I need to buy this. Nothing against Star Wars. I love Star Wars, but I'm just saying it was. it's neat to see... This is a really... It's about an hour-long interview, and it's really cool. There's George's pimp bracelet. Is that a frog on there? I don't know. I can't tell. I think it's a frog or a scarab. I think it's a scarab. <laughs> if it's not a scarab, it should be a scarab it's because it's George Romero. Anyway. A scarab? 
But this you, is how I'm just gonna scare him. I wasn't born in this time, obviously. I'm a I'm a young guy, but seeing him smoke and all that, it's uh Look he's smoking, it's pimp. They should still do this kind of shit. It's so much more casual. Now it's just like yeah, uh, I'm, I'm I'm a SAG award winner, and I okay. I'm gonna film. I'm gonna crack you up. Imagine me right now with Don Coscarelli's hair. That's like the backwards dog butt. He's got like a he's got a crazy '70s haircut. And your beard. Yeah, and my beard. It's like a scraggly, but all of them are just the. He's he's double unbuttoned. He's got the two unbuttoned. He's letting the fucking chest hair out. His fucking neck beard everything it's it's don coscarelli is uncut on this interview it's pretty crazy um i think it's a shame as a fan that that he's not respected as much as as he should be and in fact i will even go ahead and praise abrams one more time for being a fan of this stuff because yeah and bring he he you can say what you will about jj and i i'm not really a fan of him i'm a fan of him making force awakens i was a fan of that film i'm a fan of him being a fan of Phantasm, if that makes sense. It is cool. So much it's to cool. where he made it into a character in Star Wars, which is also, Phantasma it's thing, ballsy, you know. and it's it's actually really cool that he went that far. He's that nerdy into the first bit. What's weird with him, though, I was reading about him. Apparently, he doesn't like any of the sequels, <clears throat> which is a shame, because it's really shame. good. They are good. I guess, you know, the first Teach their own. The first Phantasm is definitely more of a, a director's... Uh, domain because it's it was so, so different. It is so good, and it was the the score really made it perfect, and just <clears throat> just uh, Angus's performance too, and the camaraderie of the you know Reggie and uh, Jody and and Mike really solidified that film as yep. like just a really genuine, uh, just a genuine movie outside of it being terrifying. That box uh, set sounds like a haunted castle. Listen, <laughs> anyway. It's just a that's a brilliant movie. That's why we well named our podcast after it. And that box set's a year old this month. Yeah. Wow. Doesn't seem like it does it. It's going for almost five hundred dollars on eBay now. Hey, that's why you buy it when it comes out. I got it actually cheaper than normal. I got mine for seventy nine ninety nine. I got better mine, than five hundred. You know where I got mine? I got mine for sixty bucks at Best <laughs> Buy the same week. Yeah, you found it at Best Buy. That's pimp. I bought two of them. I spent hundred twenty dollars, and I'm sitting on that own just to have it. Because I'm those are the those are the type of movies like if something happened to those, they were damaged or stolen, or something, I would shit. Because like I love them so much. Yeah, and then they're they're beautiful. You guys can get it. I think the cheapest one I saw recently on Amazon. Somebody had it used on there for like hundred thirty bucks. That's a steal. If you can get that for hundred thirty bucks. Yeah, I mean that's better than five hundred. <clears throat> it is. But uh, we'll leave you now. To our guest of the Witching Hour, which is Erie Vaughn, the man from Samhain. Thank you, Erie, for your time and patience. I pronounced it in the beginning with the original, uh, <clears throat> whatever it is, the Samhain version, Samhain or whatever it's originally pronounced as. But Samhain is from the man himself. Yeah. So you say Samhain. Um, and we'll leave you with Erie and Doctor West interview. Enjoy. Very, very proud of him for this one. It was. Uh, <clears throat> It's awesome. So it's a great guest. So from the doctor and I on our new home, thank you guys for sticking with us. Stay fucking gory.
Hi, this is Dr. Vincent West with my House of Horror series here on Phantasm, and I have one of my heroes uh, from my teen years growing up, and one of the coolest concerts I ever saw was uh, dancing on the very first tour, and uh, I'm here, I get to sit here with one of my heroes today, uh, Erie Vaughn, and Erie, how you doing, man? This is awesome. Yeah, well, I'm glad to be here. Well, I appreciate this. This is this is really really cool, um, and we'll just kind of jump right into this. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, for the listeners and and for me out there, uh, just how you got involved uh, playing bass and doing stuff in music. I started off as a drummer, um, had my own bands, wrote most of the songs, and um, basically, I was uh, since I was going to school with Doyle. It was always like the Misfits seemed to have so many drummers. There was always somebody quitting or did one record or whatever. Or Glenn was, you know, not satisfied with them. So Doyle said, "Why don't you play drums? You know, then when the Misfits need a drummer, you'll be ready." You know, so I practiced those songs and uh, and then went on to do my own band and play drums. But I was playing like you know thrash, hardcore, like really fast stuff. Right. You know, way before, or well, not way before, but before Earth AD, when everything, because the hardcore scene was really sort of, well, it was sort of at the end, but it was still very popular with bands like Gangrene and Jerry's Kids and the FUs who were playing really fast, you know, and uh, Bad Brains and, you know, Mind Flaret. And so I, we were just playing as fast as we could. So when I went down to, um, Mrs. Nina's drummer, I went down there and rehearsed with him. I just played everything way too fast, you know. <laughs> and um, I, I, I was friends with Glenn by that time, and he was just talking about, you know, the um, this is Boston, not LA record with the, the compilation of all those bands. And Gang Green had like seven songs or six songs on there, and they were like just so fast and so awesome. Right, and so that was, I think that was a big influence on the Earth AD record, and um, the, one of the reasons that once the Misfits broke up, that Sam Hain did a lot of slow songs, you know, because people were so used to hearing the Misfits do, you know, like their whole catalog really, really fast, and so I remember, you know, doing shows and. People would say, play faster. He goes, you want to hear a fast song? Well, here's another slow one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it, it was just it was just fun because it was just like, well, we're going to do whatever we want to do. And if you like it, great. If you don't, here's a door. You know? So it was, we were messing with people to a certain extent. But, you know, they'd call out misfit songs and, you know, play Mommy, play 20 Eyes, play this and that. And we were like, yeah, no, we don't know that one. You know, and <laughs> we might do horror business or die, die, my darling, or something like that. Something that was more um, like akin to what the same name stuff was going to be or was at the time. So yeah, we just just went from there to there, and you know, people liked it. Great if they didn't, too bad. You know, we lost a lot of Mrs. fans, but we gained some some new fans and same thing happened with Danzig you know going from Sam Hain to Danzig you know and playing more bluesy kind of Black Sabbath-y kind of stuff 
we lost some fans, but we also gained a lot of fans. So it's just, you know, it's a crapshoot, you know. And talk a little bit about now the the Sam Haynes stuff. Um, do you have a favorite record that you you know to you of that uh, that I don't know of of that catalog? Well, I like November Coming Fire the most. It's um, you know, Glenn also said that he liked the Mistress Night of Living Dead single that they put out, and I said, well, why is that? Because he got screwed up in the mastering and it didn't sound right. And I said, well, why? Why is that your favorite record? And he said, well, the band was really good at the time. And it seems to be something about the third record you do, like when we did Danzig 3, we were so tight and knew the song so well and played together so well that we knocked out 14 songs in four days, yeah. you know? And they were all like first takes and second takes. So I can understand that, you know, when you really get to that point where everybody knows each other. And I really like that record. And, um, you know, I mean, the same main stuff is all good, but that record I like the most. You know. I love that. And Tinian's so good. That's been so good. Excuse me, I didn't understand that. Um I love the tracks on November Coming Fire. I love, I, I don't know, I really like, I, it's just good. That was the first one that I heard, too. I guess a lot of people's was probably a, a different record, but that was the first one that I heard was November Coming Fire. Well, um, what always happens, <clears throat> that I noticed with Glenn, and I could be wrong, <clears throat> but as soon as, you know, like, say, the first, the Initium record, the first Sam Main record, was, you know, it was, pretty poppy as far as we were concerned and then we went underground again to do um unholy passion and then then we came back with something that was more accessible not not probably i don't know maybe glenn was thinking that but we didn't think it you know but it just seems like that because we did it with danzig too because we, we started selling records around the third thing and then we did the ep the live stuff. Sure. And that sold a bunch of copies. And then we went back underground again for Danzig 4 that, to me, sounded more like a Sam Hain record. And, you know, I totally understood what was going on. I haven't been there for like 13 years. Sure. And, you know, like, Chuck was just like, yeah, I'll, you know, play whatever, you know. And John was just like, I don't get this record, you know. <laughs> so... He was just like, they sound like demos. You know, we need to work them out more. I'm like, no, it's not about that. It's about the feel and the songs. And there's no rules when it comes to writing a song that you just, the song just happens, you know, and you just record it and decide if it's good or not. Right. You know, so you know, it was just one of those things. You know, but I, I totally got it. You know, but I was just kind of like, yeah, but we're we're selling records. We're doing really good. You know, everybody's saying we're going to be the next Metallica. You know, why are we going back underground? You know, and that's just maybe that's just the mood he was in or the songs he was writing at the time, which I totally understand. And uh, so I was just like, yeah, it's fine. But there's some I listened to it the other day. I don't listen to the records very much, but. I, it was in the glove compartment and I put it on and I said oh, there's a lot of good shit on this you know 
and yeah. the performances were really good. A lot of subtleties, and you know, because the band was, you know, it was almost like a performance, which is what good records are made of. That we were, you know, when it had to be loud, it was loud. But when it had to be soft, it was soft. We didn't rely on the engineer to, to, you know, bring stuff down or whatever or EQ because we all play, we always played in the same room at the same time. Right. You know. So, you know, it was, uh, I, I, I think it's a fine record. I have a question for you about Danzig Force since we're talking about that. What was the deal with the, with the, with the coffins and all that on that record? Like, like you guys had been unearthed or what? I always, like my imagination just ran away with me looking at that. Well, I don't remember talking about it. I just remember somebody building the coffins and we were going to do a photo shoot. And I think Glenn, maybe at the time, um, was maybe paranoid about, like, the government or agencies or, you know, social agencies, you know, putting stickers on your records and um, trying to keep it down. And then it was one of those, like, old Western things, all like, yeah, well, we can't deal with these guys, so we're going to have to kill them. And I think that was... That was kind of the whole thing because we had like a Clinton lookalike in the picture mm-hmm. but it probably also relates to the the Evil Live cover where you know he, he got that um, you know the artwork from that um, that uh, movie poster right. you know that he did so it was kind of one of those things you know but you know I mean as long as the songs were good and, and the band was playing well um I didn't really question a lot of that stuff. I mean, we would sit and talk. You know, I don't think the rest of the guys in the band were really that concerned about why we were doing this or whatever. But I was just like, yeah, you know, and we talk and tell old stories and, you know, whatever. So, yeah, yeah I think it's a fine record. Nice. Um, it was kind of back up here if it's cool. So, the first album, uh, how, did, how did that come about? I mean, how did you know, was that like a natural progression out of Sam Hain with you and Glenn into the Danzig solo stuff or? <laughs> well, well, everybody says, you know, that was, you know, Glenn's solo. Well, they talked about Danzig as being a solo project, which maybe it is now, but it never was then. But, um, yeah, we, we started rehearsing in my basement in Lodi, you know, I was playing drums. The first two rehearsals had Craig from Rosemary's Babies playing guitar. Okay. And we were just trying to work songs out, you know. And we'd been talking on the phone for a long time, Glenn and I, and we would hang out and go play video games or go to Lola Pizza or whatever and, you know, just hang out, go to the movies. And so we had sort of a like mind about what, you know, it's always a problem about when you have a band, the, the, you know, you start off like everybody's got the same idea, but eventually it turns out that really these other guys don't really have the same vision that we have. And so it's hard to keep a you know, band together, you know? So it was a lot of conversations, a lot of hanging out, talking about music. What do you want? What do I want? I said, I want guys that, you know, really want to play and we'll do anything to, to make this happen. 
So he said, yeah, that's really cool. He says, how would you like to start a band with me? Because he said, you know, I got this show in Detroit, and um, I'm going to tell him that I'm leaving the band, and that's it. And then I want to start the Sam Hain thing, and that happened about a month later. Right. And then we started working on the songs. But I couldn't... <laughs> I was used to playing, you know, really fast on the drums, and, you know, straight time, not the sort of syncopated kind of stuff that eventually came out in Sam Hain. And then one day I was on the phone with him and he said, you know, well, I, I think I might have said, I'm not cutting it, you know, on the drums. I don't know what you want. It's, it's, the timing was instead of, you know, 4-4, four, four, it was like 3-4 or some, excuse me, something else. <clears throat> and he says, well, we got this guy, you know, Steve plays in that band Morning Noise who lives in Lodi. He said, he's a pretty good drummer. Why don't we have him play drums and you just play bass? He says, you've got that kind of personality. You should be, you know, up in front instead of being behind the drums. And I said, okay. You know, so I went down to Sam Ash in Paramus and picked up a couple of bases, bought one and said, okay, let's go. You know, and, uh, <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know where all the notes were or anything, and Glenn said, "This is an E, this is an A, or whatever," and just basically kind of figured it out from there, and you know, just did whatever I had to do, you know. Well, I absolutely love that first record, and um, how did you guys bring uh, John and, and Chuck involved on, into the band? Well, let me think for a minute. Well, um, I can't remember exactly, but John was the first guy to join, but the band was still called Sam Hain, you know? Right. And he moved up from Baltimore. Um, he had done an audition. I, yeah, yeah. We auditioned a bunch of guys um, because um, Rick Rubin didn't like the drummer. You know, like I used to have to tell the drummer, this is to be, you know, just play this beat or whatever. And then Pete was a fine guitar player, but he wasn't advancing and it wasn't, you know, something. He was more like a Johnny Thunders kind of guy. Right. You know? Yeah. And it wasn't really gonna, you know, work for what we were talking about. And then after like 30 guys we tried out on guitar, John was like the last guy. And we kept him waiting in the like the lobby for like five hours because we tried out so many guys. And he came in and was all pissed off. And you know, <laughs> the only re requirement was that each guy who tried out for guitar had to um, learn at least three songs, and then we run them down, and then we let him solo. And we even tried out um, Daniel Ray, who wound up uh, producing a bunch of Ramones records. Right at that time and so John just had all his attitude and he would call Glenn on the phone and leave messages you know on his answering machine he would just play like in my grip you know and all this stuff and just leave messages and Glenn was just like this guy's nuts you know like he just keeps calling me and just all, all he does is play like the songs and stuff and Ruben really went for him and when he <laughs> and that first audition when we just sat there and said, okay, solo. And he just blew us away. And I was just like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's good. But Glenn was just like, yeah, but he's a metal guy. 
you know, and me, Chuck, and John were not metal. I uh, mean, me, uh, Chuck and Glenn were not metal guys. Right. So it was like, yeah, I don't know if it's going to fit, but you need that kind of friction in a band to make things great, you know, because you can't all be on the same page. That's, you know, like Aerosmith, you know, the Stones, Keith and Mick are always button heads. Sure. You know, you got to have that. So that was the reason that, you know, the, the way that those records came out, that because there was that conflict, you know, and um, I, I just thought it was, you know, and then he turned us on to other stuff, and uh, Glenn had already been a Black Sabbath fan, <clears throat> but I was a punk rock guy. I, I didn't like any of that shit. Right. You know, no, n- none of the ACTC. Led Zeppelin, I you know when I went to high school, that's all they cared about was like Led Zeppelin. I sure. <laughs> and you know, so it wound up working out, and then we started rehearsing in Brooklyn at some studio or at Top Cat, which was Aerosmith's studio, and we played like once or twice <laughs> together, and then it seemed to be really easy, you know, like. Okay, I got it. And of course, Chuck could play anything. Right. But we we did most of the work on the records, just the three of us. You know, we rehearsed in New Jersey, um, and they had moved there. And we do, you know, three days a week, John and I would get up at 9 o'clock in the morning, go to the gym, work out, then go to the studio or the rehearsal studio at 3 o'clock, rehearse for like two or three hours, and then have a day off and whatever and then once we got the shit together and we'd say okay well you know Glenn come on down and he'd come down on Friday and started working out the songs you know and that's pretty much you know the whole record was written there in Jersey at this little you know rehearsal studio called Zounds in Garfield, New Jersey and it was just, but it was really easy and it seemed like a, a real chemistry you know and then eventually when we did the next record it was the same it was even easier because I knew what Chuck was going to do and I knew what John was going to do and then Glenn was going to do his thing so I just played you know basically punk rock bass you know D.D. Ramon stuff right well I was going to ask you this so so before it's even called Danzig so it's it's actually Sam Haynes still when you guys are doing all this stuff well, yeah, well, John was the first guy to join, and we hadn't gotten in touch with Chuck yet, and then I can't remember the time frame. It could have been you know, a matter of a couple of months. But um, Glenn wanted John to to overdub some stuff on November Coming Fire, you know, and then we also had that record, that the, the last campaign record called The Final Descent, that yeah. we were just basically it was just me and Glenn and so but he wanted him to play on a few things so that was it and then you know when Rick Rubin really got um, involved you know we were at this place in New York called Exterminator Chili and we're sitting there in a booth and they're like you know well Rubin says I think we should change the name of the band you know because there was the stigma of the devil locks and the spooky stuff and you know 
And I wasn't really into that because when I was doing the auditions for all these guitar players, I was totally in makeup and devil lock and all that just to let them know and try to intimidate them. And um, he said, one time he pulled me aside and he says, well, don't you want as many po uh, people as possible to hear your music? And I said, yeah, that's what it's all about. He goes, well, I think you might be alienating a larger crowd by looking the way you look <laughs> and all this. And, you know, the Misfits were, you know, not a big band, you know. Um, so I said, well, hmm, that makes some sense, you know. And then it just, you know, we just, I cut off my devil lock, you know, started growing my hair, stopped shaving, you know, and, and it was one of those things where like, okay, and then got turned on to more blues and Black Sabbath and all these things, and we just went from there and said, okay, let's see what happens, you know. And what was the, do you remember the first couple of songs you guys worked on for that first record? Well, I've got all these rehearsal tapes, you know, because of, I used to put up a boombox on top of my amp so I could go home and listen to the latest arrangements. Nice. And, you know, if I had to practice them, at least I've had, had that. But, uh, yeah, we were still doing some of the holdover songs from what would have been, you know, the, the next Sam Hain record, like Possession, Twisted Cane, um, uh, you know, maybe one other song, I can't remember. But we also played, you know, a couple of uh, Misfit songs that were, Glenn told me were supposed to be for the next band, which would have been Sam Hain, like Death Comes Rippin', Blood Feast was supposed to be a Sam Hain song. And um, so, yeah, I, I can't remember. We, you know, we did like car business, but, you know, at that point, we only had like, you know, eight or nine songs. So we just ran down whatever we had. And, uh, you know, of course, Chuck would just make everything better, you know. Well, was Rick Rubin always involved when you guys were bringing John in and Chuck and everything? Was he already on in, wanting to do this record with you guys? or? Well, he had seen, seen Sam Hay at the Ritz. We did something called the, new, the Old Ritz, the New Music Seminar. So there was like a whole bunch of bands and... Celtic Frost was on there and love them uh, I don't know just like it was like a thing like they do South by Southwest now you know sure where you can go to a bunch of venues and see a bunch of bands that nobody's ever heard of so he really liked it but he liked Glenn mostly and he didn't like the band you know he was just like yeah they can't play you know <laughs> I'm like yeah it's punk rock you know so he wanted to get rid of everybody and Glenn said, "Now I want to keep Erie because, you know, I was like his, you know, second in command, you know. So um, when we did the auditions, little by little, it was just like, well, London May can't cut it. And then, you know, Pete's just a punk rock guy and got rid of him too. And then all of a sudden we had nobody and we had to try out people. So London did all the auditions for the guitar players. And then I had to go fire London. And then we, you know, uh, Rick and Glenn were in New York at Rick's apartment. And uh, he said, well, who's your, you know, if you had to choose a good drummer, who are your favorite guys? He says, well, I like Filthy Phil from, you know, Motorhead. And he says, who else? And he said, Chuck Biscuits. 
and you know, filthy Bill probably wouldn't have worked that. And so they, I don't know how they got Chuck's number, you know, and he was probably living in Vancouver, or Seattle, or something. Right. And so I remember, I remember the the, um, the conversation was like, so this is Rick Rubin. I'm sitting here with Glenn Bandit. What would it take for you to come out here and join his band? And Chuck said, a uh, plane ticket. And that was it. <laughs> he just showed up with his with a pack of smokes and a in his kick pedal, and that was it, you know. And he was great from day one. So it just you know it just kind of worked out, you know. Well, I tell you that that uh, that first album, I remember buying that the cover and the Danzig Skull. That was just I loved it. I mean, I just everything about that record, the 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 the, the the liner notes, just every everything about that was just magical to me when I bought that. And then you guys outdid yourself. Lucifuge, I absolutely loved. Absolutely loved it. I loved that the CD booklet opened up into an upside down cross. I loved you had the little merch booklet in there and I could order my upside down like Danzig necklace with the cross and everything. I, I have all that shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember any of that stuff being included. You know, but oh no, you had to you order know, it. There was a little order pamphlet. I could you could mail order it. Oh, was there? Yeah. I don't have any. Co- all I have is like promo copies, so I don't know. Yeah, I've still got it. I've I've still got my necklace and everything. <laughs> now it was um what see what I always liked about you know Glenn and the Misfits is the spooky part of it, and there was a lot of reverb on you know the vocals and stuff, and you know it's all spooky shit, and that's why. I fell in love with it and then when we did the first Danzig record it was just like it was totally dry there was no reverb on anything and John never liked the record I don't remember what Chuck's opinion was but the vocals were too up front you know um, and just you know I didn't care for the bass sound and you know Rick would make me do Am I Demon like you know for three hours <laughs> you know and that's not what it's about you know, it's about getting a feel, you know. And um, so I wasn't that happy with the record. I still don't really care for it. Um, the songs are great. I love the songs. And we played them live. They were so much better. But Lucifuge had a little bit more jizz on the vocals and, you know, a little more on the snare drum and stuff like that. So I thought we were on our way to sounding how we should sound. And then when we got to Dance 3, that was... That that sounded like the band actually sounded live, so that's why it's one of my favorite records, you know. And you know, that was it. Well, Lucifuge. Um, I'll t- I'll tell you a funny story. This is there's no one more appropriate to tell this story to, um, except maybe John Chuck and, and Glenn as well. I don't know why, but I've been in three car accidents with Lucifuge playing. I was not scathed one bit in any of them. And I was never driving. That's another weird story. In 90, when the record came out... I was listening to it. Was too distracted to drive? (laughs) I don't don't know. Well, the funny thing, we were in a Volkswagen Rabbit listening to it on cassette when it came out. And You're lucky you didn't die. Jesus. 
Yeah, I know. Well, here's the crazy part about it is this guy was showing off. I was in my two friends, uh, Mark and Jason. Jason was driving. Mark was up front. And their two girlfriends had me sandwiched in the back of that of that rabbit. And they were listening to it. And he hit this loose gravel and flipped the car. He went out the window and we ended up in a lake. Oh, and yeah, it was one. Two, two girlfriends, you know. Looking <laughs> up in the lake is not a great idea. Oh, God. <laughs> but I'll never forget um, when it happened. We were listening to Devil's Play thing when the car, when it, when it happened. And I was, I'll never forget. But it's, it's so bizarre because, like, literally, like, four years later, same thing, listening to that record on CD. And my friend was in a car. I mean, n- nobody was ever hurt in any of this stuff, really. Jason, I guess, was probably the worst in the rabbit, but... I don't know. Just a weird story about that, but I I, I love that record. Um, oh yeah, I could, you know I, I listened to it recently. You know, just like I said, on the radio, the radio here is not that great. They do have this one really good um, sort of you know I don't know funk disco kind of label from my childhood. All the stuff that was going on, so I listened to that. But when you get sick of the songs that they're playing, because now they're playing the stuff that you know when I was in high school and I'm like Jesus I gotta go through high school again to listen to this shit <laughs> so I, I might pop it in and I and I do like the record and um always liked Glenn besides Glenn singing you know Rick and I used to say come on crew you know come on sing you know and um it was the, and the poetry you know the way he wrote the words yeah and um, and I really liked that and that was one of the records you know I mean the other ones were you know like it wasn't so much on the third one because he decided to change his vocal style and he actually told me he was going to do that and be more theatrical you know and because we're playing bigger places so you can't the people in the back row can't see what you're doing so right. you have to be more theatrical and I was just like yeah that's fine you know we did some videos and all that but um, I always liked the poetry you know even in the Misfits stuff I, I, I liked you know the way he turned to praise and it was always interesting you know so I mean hell I was just you know loving being in the band and going around the world and playing for people it was just so much fun you know I love those home videos I still have them I still get out the VCR and watch them yeah I was thinking about it I don't know if I even have a VCR anymore but I've got all I've got all the footage I mean I used to have a VCR um, I mean a video camera with me so I've got like on the bus backstage I've got people like shooting whole stones right from all the way back and you know it's some of the stuff is hysterical you know that you know nobody expected even while you'd never see <laughs> you know and Glenn being a goofball and you know all our crew guys being funny and just what it's like you know I mean there's there's some little bits on I guess second one um you know the live more yeah. you know the backstage and stuff sure that stuff is like the first one was just compilation of videos and then interviews 
which I did all the interviews with the guys in the band. Nice. And they just they just overdubbed everybody's, you know, overdubbed my voice. And then, um, you know, I'm behind a cage somewhere because I thought it would be good because I'm a photographer and the light was good and, you know. But everybody always said, oh, do you still do this and that and the other thing? I was like, man, that was like 30-something years ago. I'm not the same guy I was when I did that interview, you know. Right. And probably nobody else is. Maybe John. Well, Chuck was pretty funny on that. <laughs> yeah. I always like those. And 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 then um, Danzig Three, the Geiger stuff. Now, did did you all reach out to him to get him to do the artwork, or was that something of his that you all just liked and used as a? I never knew the to that whether that was something that was original it looked original no, Glenn, Glenn was Glenn's really big into artists he's always been in, in comics and stuff that's why like on the floor record you know he's got that artist that probably did you know well I can't remember it's Mike Pluto I'm yeah. not sure yeah uh, but it, it sort of, to me it looked like a Molly Hatchet record you know it did and that was that was done by Frazetta I think yeah and I was just like, yeah, but you know, to me, it was just like, we've got all these fans and they're really good artists and stuff. Why don't you just have one of them do it? Or why don't you do it? Because he was always drawing and doing stuff. And he's pretty good at it. And, you know, but he wanted, you know, to have some of these guys that he was interested in. And I was like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. I mean, the cover, you know, sometimes when you're going through the records and, you know, you might buy, you know, that was one of the things he said, the reason he bought the first Black Sabbath record because he liked the cover, you know? So, and in the Initium record with the blood and all, I'm sure a lot of people bought that because of that. I did. And so that, that's a, yeah, that's important, you know, but um, I didn't see any reason to spend money on, like, a bunch of artists when, you know, certainly Glenn could have done it on his own or, you know, like I said, we had all these fans, and I still get artwork from fans. That's great, you know. And they just give it to you, you know. Right. The Danzig Skull, where did that come from? Oh, that's a bone of contention, you know. Um, there's been some stories, you know. Like, I remember going down, he used to live in a basement of his uh, parents' house in Lodi. He had his own apartment, you know. And um, one day he just showed me this thing. You know, originally what we were going to use was a thing from Halloween with Michael Myers because he's what Punk called the shape. You yeah, know, of and he was yeah. To, right, he was supposed to be the god of Samhain. And so I saw that and I'm like, yeah, that's okay. But then he showed me the skull and I'm like, yeah, that's awesome because the Misfits had already used the Crimson Ghost and that was a big image. And, but later on, you know, people are sending me things that say, well, you know, on this certain comic, it's, it's already there. So Glenn claims that he was trying to get a job with Marvel Comics as an illustrator. And he claims that they stole his, his design. But I don't know, you know, Shit. I couldn't really, I, I couldn't really tell you. You know, but I thought it was cool, you know, it's hell. And then 
Rick Rubin wanted us to be like the Doors or Led Zeppelin that, you know, you put the thing on there and you don't put any name on the record. And then we do the gatefold with the big picture of us and stuff. It was like, you know, like the old 60s, 70s stuff. Yeah. And he, he thought of us as being like a super group that would last forever, like Led Zeppelin or Doors. So we're like, yeah. And even the, you know, the cover of Lucifuge, you know, it's a, it's a direct ripoff of the first Doors record. It's beautiful. You know? Yeah, I love that. That's what I was about to say. I loved it. That um, you know, I, I look, I look good in that, so that's all I care about. Yeah, man, it's awesome. I mean, um, touring on the third record, I saw you headline, and then I saw you guys open for Black Sabbath with Dio. Yeah, yeah, we did two weeks, and you know, Chuck and and Glenn didn't want to do it, but me and John thought, come on, it's Black Sabbath. You know, it was only two weeks. You know, let's do it. You know, um, but the uh, argument was, well, our people will probably probably just go see us, and those people that like Black Sabbath would probably go see us too. So we didn't really need them. You know, and I'm like, yeah, but it's Black Sabbath. Come on. You know, so we did it, and it was fine. And you know, I get to meet. Tony and Geezer and you know talk to Dio who's this little tiny guy and you know I gave him a little grief you know because like a show or two before he got pulled into the crowd because he had these big long sleeves uh-huh. and he was all, he's only like you know five feet tall or whatever the hell he was and somebody grabbed the hold of the sleeve and pulled him into the crowd and that's not something that he you know he came from so it was probably a little weird for him. But the next the next day, I just went up to him right before they were going on, and I said, dude, you got to stop stage driving, you know? It's like, you can't do that, you know? And we thought we were just messing with him. But Tony was great, Giza was great, and I got guitar picks from both of them, and I lost them somewhere. But, yeah, it was a good experience, and it, it didn't hurt us at all, you know? So... You know, and I got pictures of all Tony's guitars, and you know, so it was it was pretty cool. Now, when you guys now before that, before y'all played with Sabbath, had y'all played with anybody bigger than that? Well, the first tour we ever did was Metallica. See, know? I never got to see. I, I, I probably when y'all played Knoxville, I'm a, y'all were just headlining. So I, Metallica, the only time they had played in Knoxville when I was a kid was with Ozzy when Cliff was still alive. So. Well, yeah, no, I was there at, uh, on, on a couple of those shows, too, but that was back in the Sam Hain days. Right. Like, we showed up at Market Square Arena because we had just played Bloomington, and we were sitting around going, well, we got a day off, and we already knew Metallica from, like, 85, and this was 86. <laughs> That's all. So we said, well, why don't we just drive down there and show up, and that's what we did, and... They were opening for Ozzy, which was, you know, ridiculous. And they were so good. And, you know, Cliff started playing London Dungeon, you know, in between songs. And he had a Sam Haynes sticker on his bass. And yeah. we got to, like, sit around and talk a little bit before that. 
and he had uh, a bass that he really liked, and I actually had the same copy. I was like, hey, I don't really like it, you know. But and then like I guess London was there, and he, he asked Lars for a pair of his sticks, and Lars said, don't you have any sticks on your own? And he said, no, I want a pair of your sticks. <laughs> and then when we were rehearsing, still, I guess, I don't know, I guess at Lodi, that they were just in a stick bag, and I was, I just used them and totally tore them up. <laughs> and he's like, you fucked up Lord, the stick. I'm like, I didn't know they were just fucking there, you know? <laughs> so it was just like, oh my God, you know? So I didn't realize that, but you know, we were friends from like said '85, and we were friends all along. And um, we did our first real tour. We'd done some stuff. We did like five shows with Slayer. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and that was always tough. Open up for Slayer is not an easy gig. <laughs> I can imagine um, because everybody just hates whoever. It's sort of like the Ramones, you know, opening up for Johnny Winter or whatever, and they think they're they're going to go over well, but you really got to work it. And by the end of the day, be like, yeah, they they like us, you know. So that was very tough. But then we had the um, Metallica tour in '88, and it was in Europe, and it was like uh, three weeks. We called it three weeks in hell, and because nobody wanted to go to Europe, right? And you know, and so. And that, that was fine. We got encores and stuff, but, you know, their management or their stage manager said, you can't go back on stage. I'm like, yeah, but they want us to. And they're like, no, you can't. You can't show up deadline. You know, and you had to, um, if you were selling T-shirts, you had to sell them at the same price. They were selling theirs. So it was kind of a eye-opening experience. And um, it went over real well. And, you know, us and the guys, we just went out and went to clubs or bars or, you know, even in little restaurants and stuff and people were following you around. They're really, you know, in Europe, the fans are really rabid, you know? Right. And they would just, there'd be like 30 people following you around to McDonald's or whatever. And so that was, that was a good learning experience. And then, you know, we came back and, you know, started doing our own stuff and then we didn't get to play with those guys again until like 94 you know now the that tour you did was that justice for them oh yeah the one in Europe yeah was, okay they were what, what what most bands do is uh, they take the show on the road in Europe because you know they gotta kinda figure out how it's gonna work and I must have seen them 50 times that year and um, but we weren't playing big places. We were playing like, you know, big clubs. And there was only one arena and it was like half full. And, but other than that, it was before they really broke. Right. You know? And, um, so after that, then they came to America. And, you know, then it was, you know, that was all over. And, you know, and then they made their first video they ever did. And that, you know, getting a video on MTV sold a lot of records and gives you a lot of exposure. So then, you know, then they got really big, you know. I mean, I I remember watching them when they opened up for Ozzy and we were at Nassau Coliseum in uh, Long Island, I think it is. And there was like 20,000 people and they were playing, you know, Master of Puppets. 
And I just turned around, looked at the crowd, and they were all like freaking out from the talent. And then Ozzy came on and was kind of like, eh. <laughs> you know, like he was, he was like, you know, he did that with Molly Crew too, you know, had them on tour. Sure. And just Metallica just eclipsed the whole thing, you know, because it sure. was so awesome. You know, and I was just like, I know these guys. I'm like, these are friends of mine. You know, James slept on my couch, you know. That's really cool. Now, did you, um, I, I've been, this is something I wanted to ask you, like, ever, just a, just an interesting question that I would, ner- I always watch Headbangers Ball. Did, was that uncomfortable dealing with, like, Ricky Rackman and that stuff and doing, or was that fun or was that just weird or? What do you mean, the, the Germany thing? The Germany right? thing, or just, well, just any time. He's standing with a mic and all that nasty, all this, or whoever it was. I, that, I remember him specifically. Well, like, but. Glenn, Glenn did, you know, like, Glenn did a lot of that stuff on his own, but every once in a while he would say, hey, why don't you come on with me and do this, you know, because he knew I would bust his balls and say, <laughs> you know, and, he, and, and I remember we were in, you know, a, a castle, and he said, yeah, give Ricky a hard time. And so Ricky always had this long hair and, you know, he, he ran, you know, ran the uh, cat house out in L.A. And Guns N' Roses were always there. And it was like the place to be. So we went a couple of times. But he cut his hair really short. And he was wearing like a, you know, a Pendleton, like a checkered shirt. And so... We just gave him grief just just because you know <laughs> the and grunge we stuff. Like, <laughs> we had we we played his birthday party. It was this place called Madame Wong's, and it was a private party. And um, Ice T's Ice T was just doing the body count. Okay, like he just started doing that, and um, so it was you know and some of the Guns N' Roses guys were there and stuff, but it was just like a party. And we did it, got up, and there was no stage, and we just played on the floor and did our set, and, you know, we were just doing it because, you know, we liked Ricky, you know. And, um, but yeah, it was always fun to bust his balls, you know. And, uh, <laughs> just, cause, you know, I mean, I'm from Jersey. That's just the way we deal with people, you know. Right. Like, if you can't, if you can't take it, then, you know, get the fuck out, you know. Right, exactly. So, he, yeah, he was he was good he was good about it and you know asked a few questions and I would always try to like deflect a few questions because I knew Glenn didn't or, you know whatever so that's fun it was, it, it was fun you know so you like going on there it was okay going on MTV and stuff you were okay with that well yeah well I mean we did the John Stewart show a couple of times yep you did and and he was very nice and um little tiny guy I didn't realize he was so tiny but yeah it was fun and he he was a fan that's awesome hold on yeah my phone's time for it Charger. Okay, hold on. No, it's just fun. I mean, like, you know, 
Chuck was from Vancouver, John was from Baltimore, Brian and I are from New Jersey. We didn't really consider, like, we didn't really know what to do with L.A. and all that stuff. Sure. So we just kind of winged it, you know? And, you know, there was friends of ours that were already living there, like Brian Baker, who was in Junkyard Time. Yeah. From, you know, Brian from Ryan Threat. Hold on, let me plug in the phone. So I remember, you know, John and I were staying at the, uh, oh, I can't remember what it was called. It used to be a rock, you know, rock and roll hotel where everybody showed up and they always stayed. We were staying at the, uh, sort of the sister hotel that was right around the corner from Sunset at the Coconut Teaser. Ran at the Baker, and then he said, okay, so this is how it works out here. You know, like, you see a pretty girl, you know, you don't buy her a drink, she buys you a drink. And then, you know, that's the, that, that's the way it is out here. And, um, and then John and I had to find an apartment. And before we knew it, um, they were driving us around looking at these apartments and stuff. And, you know, and that's the way it was, you know. So it was, it was a little bit of an eye opening experience. I always, I guess it's, you know, maybe from the home videos or just whatever else. I just, I don't know. I love the mystique that you and Glenn kept with the band. It really had me on edge, like, my whole life. Like, I just always thought it was, I don't know. I thought if you guys were even doing that purposely, it was just fucking awesome. Maybe it's the Jersey stuff with you guys. I don't know, but I loved it. Like, through through all four, the first four Danzig records and then... um, The tour that you guys did with Corn and Marilyn Manson, that was wild, Danzig 4. Because, I mean, hell, that's before that's before either one of those bands really broke. Oh, yeah, that was very interesting. <laughs> we used to pull in, and then we didn't know who Corn was, and they were pretty young at the time. But they were all, like, you know, you'd pull into the parking lot or the loading dock or whatever, and there's these, you know basically all sort of Mexican guys working out like you were in a prison or something and and we're like okay and they all played seven string guitars and had dreadlocks and tattoos and all this stuff and I'm like okay well you really, I really liked and used to you know mess with them as much as possible because I had met I had met Twiggy and Marilyn um on the Nine Inch Nails tour that um, they were doing, oh, I guess it was at Universal Studios, Universal yeah. Theater. Yeah. And so anyway, so I went to see Nine Inch Nails because I liked them. And I missed, you know, Manson doing the opening act. And they were trying to be, like, outrageous and... You know, I had to make up and all this stuff and, yeah. and try to shock us. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. Don't care. <laughs> and just, 
you know, like I said, we had really good seats, and of course, Nine Inch Nails was phenomenal, and I was really into them for a long time. And um, it was, that was the first time I met them, so I didn't know. But once we got on tour with them, it was only about a month, and you know, Corn was, you know, it was okay. Uh, but Manson really, I could tell, you know, there was something going on there. And, um, you know, me and my first ex-wife, we actually went to thrift stores and bought Twiggy dresses and stuff. And <laughs> and just, you know, we were like, we saw this, we thought it was perfect, you know. And they always had these really crazy after-show parties and stuff. And since I had the girlfriend, I couldn't, you know, indulge. But, um... Yeah, it was very interesting, and um, and then you know there was always like once in a while like you'd see Glenn and Marilyn sitting on the bus, and Glenn was like sort of in, you know like telling him all the stuff that not all the stuff but stuff that he'd learned over the years, and and I was just like don't tell him that. Because you know, he's going to turn into a monster, you know. And he did the same thing with Rob Zombie, you know, when we did tours together. And actually, I actually, I actually said something that I shouldn't have said was like, "Hey, you're the singer, man. You know, you can do whatever you want." And the guitar player Jay said, "Don't tell him that," you know. <laughs> so it, it was it was very interesting, and then. They were actually recording like their second album, like on in the back of the bus, you know, on their bus. They had they were doing it digitally, I imagine. Oh, the Antichrist album. Um, no, it smells like children. I think. Oh, that EP. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they actually recorded it on that tour, and yeah, it was just always funny. But I remember we were playing in uh, New Jersey uh, at the. Uh, in Red Bank at the Count Basie Theater, I think it was. So anyway, I said, look, my parents are here. Don't take off your pants, you know. Try to, try to, you know, just do me this favor, you know. And, and he was, he was a little more subdued. Cause, you know, he's just a Midwest kind of guy, so I think he understood that. You know, just like, look, my mom and dad are here. Don't pull your pants down, okay? <laughs> now, did you, so did you know, though, did, I mean, touring with those two guys that early on like that, did you think both of those bands would blow up the way they did, or? Well, since we toured with so many bands, um, and we were always the headliner, except for the Metallica stuff. Right that I could see, like, you know, Caius, you know, turned into Queens of the Stone Age, but they were just all like, you know, 17, 18 years old. They didn't really know anything, and actually they used our sound guy, you know, and he just said, well, they don't have a sound guy, so I'll go mix them, you know? And they were real nice, and they went on to, you know, Josh went on to do some great stuff, and, but, yeah, well, Corn, I didn't really get. I didn't think that it was going to be a thing, but I think timing has a lot to do with that. And But Manson, I was just like, yeah, yeah, this is going to be big. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I could just tell. It was just, it was, like I said, it's the right time, and he's got the showbiz going down. 
you know, everybody thinks, I mean, we were, the first show we did with them was at the Warfare in San Francisco. Uh-huh. So, we're in the production office, and the phone rings, and John answers the phone, and he says, um, somebody says, who's this? He says, it's John Cripe. And the other person on the end of the phone said, what? <laughs> Yeah, this is John Christ. He said, "He said, who's this?" He says, "It's so and so from the Church of Satan." <laughs> so he comes, he comes out and he, he yells down the hallway, "Hey, Manson! Somebody on church for the Church of Satan is on the phone for you." And that was the first show we did with them. So everything after that was just, just you know, just brilliant, you know. <laughs> and they always did a great show, and they always fucked shit up and. Manson would always cut himself and you know I've got video of him you know telling me you know which scars from what show and <laughs> you know whatever and yeah we had a lot of fun together you know so but yeah I, I definitely thought that they were going to be big and we'd already done those shows with Slayer so I mean Slayer already had their thing and they didn't you know it was not like up to me to say oh yeah they're going to be great or whatever you know, and then White Zombie was another thing. It was, I was like, yeah, these guys are good. Right. And they just kept getting better. They did like a month or month and a half of, with us in Europe on the How the Gods Kill Tour. And then when we got back to America, they did about 30 days and then they went on a, you know, tour with Pantera. You know, so then it just blew up like crazy. But, I knew it was it was going to happen because, like, I heard you know the second record. Can't remember what it's called, but I was just like, "Yeah, I like every track. This stuff is great." Right. You know, and they worked like crazy. They go on tour for like two years. You know, and we went on tour for like six weeks. You know. Do you watch any of Rob's movies? I, I checked out the Halloween stuff, and I've seen. Um, you know, the other ones, uh, whatever, you know, uh, Devil's Rejects. Yeah, and, you know, whatever, the other one. House is. of a Thousand Corpses. And I was just always like, you know, because I, I knew him and his girlfriend. I was actually there when he, um, him and Shauna, who was the bass player for White Zombie, broke up, which was kind of awkward. Sure. And then he got with uh, Sherry, and then, you know, put her in the movies and I always figured like well you know you want to keep the peace you put your girlfriend or your wife in the movie you know so <laughs> yeah but don't quote me on that I just that's speculation sure sure that's fine <laughs> but you know I mean if you've ever been married you know or in a long term relationship you know like they say happy wife happy life oh yeah that's know? very true yeah um so you guys, you do Danzig for you do a lot of touring for it, and I I don't know the answer to this. That's why I'm asking you again. I hope this isn't a weird one, but so what happens? So you do you, what goes on where you're not in Danzig anymore? Oh well, just you know you have to move on. You know, I mean I didn't go start digging ditches or anything. I just figured 
I mean, it wasn't a long time before I put out my first record on my own, but it was an instrumental record because I wasn't really sure, you know, I could sing or, I mean, I knew I could sing, but I just didn't know what to do or what people would expect from me. So I, I figured I should do some of the, you know, sort of spooky stuff. Uneasy listening. I have it right here in front of me. Well, I did like a soundtrack record, you know, and... And this, and I had like a storyline for all the songs that you had to imagine when you listen to them, and then that's open up to you know the listener that what this song is about. And there's only like two lines of vocals on the whole thing, except for the witches thing, which is stupid. But um, yeah, so then. You know, I moved back out to L.A. after being in Jersey for a while and then just put out the board in the body and all I had was a Casio keyboard that I bought from Toys R Us, a microphone, a distortion box, and a acoustic guitar. So I just did whatever I could do, you know, and then just kept going from there, you know. I love that that first solo record. I think it's killer, man. I love that record. Um, it's all right. It's fun to listen to. I like to. I used to go to sleep to it. Like I would put it in and go to sleep to. It. I'm a huge horror fan, so. Uh, well, I don't know how to feel about that. You know, um, you know, to put you to sleep. That, no, 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 no. It was relaxing. Like I, I, what's funny? I used to do it with the, uh, the is it Black Aria, the Danzig one, the. Right. 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 So I was like that. And I I bought that CD, that Black Aria thing. The only reason I bought that, I wanted that because your all's intro music was on it. Right, right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I used to love watching you guys come out and the, the purplish-white light coming through the skull and all that. I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. But Yeah, you know, that was, uh, you know, we didn't do a lot of, you know, production or showbiz. It was kind of like, you know, we had some certain lights and things we maybe picked up from other people that we liked. You know, I remember seeing Bauhaus and they had those big, really bright lights so they'd all look in silhouette. And I think that's where we got that from. But, yeah, we didn't do a lot of production. You know, it was just like, hey, here we come and here's the songs and we're going to kick your ass. And that was pretty much it. Definitely. Definitely. It was always, and every time... Um, I'm trying to remember if that Horn Manson thing was the last time I saw you with Danzig, or what was the the Godflesh and uh... no Godflesh was before that. It was before that, okay. I'm well, the say- Manson tour, and then we went over to um, South America and did some shows, and that was the end of it. You know, right. Now, when you so all three of you guys, did you all leave at that? You all left at the same time, didn't you? No, Chuck left first, and then we got Joey, which John and I—that's right. Joey was that's right. Right, Joey, uh, John, and I spent like thirty days, you know, rehearsing with Joey. You know, and he's a fine drummer. You know, and he wound up being in the band longer than I was, and then he went on to. Queens of Stone Age, which I think is fantastic, but we we rehearsed John and I with him for at least a month, and then you know Glenn would say, "So how's it going?" 
uh, like, well, why don't you come down and like, you know, sing some of the songs, you know? And then I was fine. And then we did our first show in October 94. Right. And then that's when we got our gold records and stuff. And, you know, but, you know, it, you know, Chuck wasn't there, you know, and Chuck had become our friend, you know, after many years. Sure. You know, so it just, part of the soul was gone, you know. That's right, because after, Joey did that. Joey did the Corn Manson tour. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't... Anything after that record, and I'm not just saying this to you, I'd seriously... It just... Without that lineup, it just... You know... It's just not the same. I just don't... I don't know. I tried listening to some of that covers record that Glenn did, and I tried listening to, I guess, his last studio album, and I just... I don't know. It's just not my... Not my cup of tea. Well, part of the problem is, you know... I was always like sort of the voice of reason, you know, that I would say, oh, you know, you could do this, you could do that, you could do this better, whatever. But after a certain point, even when we work in Ruben, I would say, I know what I can do. I'm only going to do two takes or whatever. But, you know, if you could prod them a little bit, you'd get more out of them, you know. Right. And the problem is that he doesn't really have anybody that's like a friend that'll say, ah, you could do it better. You know, come on. You know, or just go out and have fun or do whatever and he'd be in a better mood. You know, so that's one of the things I always thought about that, you know, that he, I don't think he really realizes, you know, he had that with Jerry, I think, but he had that with me after Jerry. And, you know, it's just like, you know, encourage him and, you know, come on, let's go. Let's do it, you know, whatever. You know, so I, I just, you know, I don't know. I think he might be tired. Do you talk to him anymore, Glenn or Chuck or uh, John? I talked to John not that long ago, a couple of years. Um, I haven't talked to Chuck, but I did see some photos of him and one of his best friends back in Long Beach that um, we used to hang out with. And, you know, I don't know what's going on with him, but, you know, yeah. if they want to get in touch with me, they're how to get in touch with me. Right. Yeah, I don't... I, I, and I don't think I'm the only one, and that was why it was so important that I wanted to have you on because uh, Danzig is a huge part of my childhood growing up as a teen and I was a huge fan of it and all the grunge stuff was hitting I was still listening to Danzig I was listening to death metal too but I was listening to Danzig and I never let that go and I thought what you guys did was incredibly unique and um, Sam Hain as well I was always more drawn to Sam Hain than I was the Misfits I liked the Misfits so I was a little skater kid so I got into all that stuff I had a friend that listened to all that stuff and the the Evil Live thing was the first thing I listened to. And then, of course, it was right into Sam Hain and Danzig. And, and I never, I still listen to those records. Like, I don't, you know, every Halloween, November Coming Fire, and your first solo album. I always listen to them. And. Well, yeah, well, you know, Uneasy Listening is, you know, great Halloween music. It is. It's, I mean, I, I think it's brilliant. I would, I mean, I think just all of that stuff, it's just, 
I mean, it's timeless. And honestly, the, the, the four Danzig records are just, they're great. And anything after that, and it's not to be mean, it's just the truth. Like that black acid devil thing. I just, I couldn't do that stuff. I tried and I just. Oh, I mean, everybody has their opinion, but part of the thing is some of these kids that are, you know, weren't even born when any of this stuff was happening. They, they go to the record store. There's still record stores. And then they see, you know, Jerry's misfit stuff. And, you know, they might get like legacy of brutality or whatever, or collection one or collection two. Sure. But they don't understand like, you know, the first dance of record or whatever. So they just pick up anything and they don't really get it. So that's why, you know, so many fans and so many, um, you know, journalists just keep calling it Glenn's solo project. You know? And I'm like, it wasn't a solo project. No, I never thought that. It was a band. Yeah, I mean, it's... And I... I don't know. It's... Seeing you guys at Lakewood Amphitheater with Sabbath was awesome. And then, you know, I've enjoyed it every time. But, you know when you guys weren't a part of the band and I mean you can tell John this you talk to him just whoever I mean I, I I've, I've got relations with Nuclear Blast and we could never get an interview with Danzig but I would tell him it's like those records man those are special records and after that there's no there's no fire behind it that to me I just as a as a fan an avid fan of the band and I tried to listen to those records and it just you know he lost me a long time ago and I don't know i well, you know, you can't, you know, you can't fault him for being, you know, he's been in the, this business for like, you know, I don't know, 40 something years. Sure. That maybe, maybe he's a little tired, you know, maybe he doesn't always come up with a great song. I mean, I'm sure he does every once in a while, but it's always been about what song works for this record or this project that I'm working on. And he always had like files of songs like when he did the Johnny Cash thing and the Roy Orbison thing. Yeah. You know, Rick Rubin said, do you got a Mick Jagger song? He was like, yeah, I got a Mick Jagger song. You know, so it's, you know, after doing it for so long, sometimes you just run out of, you know, stuff and maybe you just don't have you know the energy to do it and I can't fault him for that because he's done enough no totally totally I'm sure he'll do some great stuff in the future because he has that greatness in him you know and so all we do you know and it's just but at some point you know I mean the Misfits reunion thing is great because all these kids weren't even born sure and they just want to see it you know but to me it's just like a nostalgia act you know right and you know I, I would really hope that they would do like a new record but that's not going to happen you know so I don't know I, I, yeah. it's it's uh, it, oh no I was just going to say it was weird it was like so you know all that stuff started happening you know you guys weren't in the band I was still trying to you know check out what he was doing. I would see him here and there, you know, when he did the little Ozfest thing, when Ozzy was starting that out around that black, black acid devil thing. And oh yeah, yeah, right. 
And he's had, you know, so many members in and out of that band. I guess Tommy Victor from Prong is with him or not with him. I don't know. I can't even keep track of it. And, you know, I guess he had Johnny Kelly from Typo Negative playing with him. And, uh, yeah, well, Johnny's still playing with him. Oh, is Johnny still playing? That's cool. Um, yeah, no, Johnny's a great guy. Now, did you, you guys did shows with Typo Negative? Yeah, we did three months. Uh, not three months. We did 30 days of Typo Negative. And, yeah, it was very interesting. Peter, I loved Pete. He was such a great guy. So nice. Just. I was very upset when he died, but, you know, Pete did a lot of coke. He drank a lot of wine. He had stage fright, so he had to drink a couple of bottles of wine to go on stage. But, you know, being a very big man, he was probably 6'6 six, six or whatever it was, you know, probably affected him, you know. But, uh, yeah, really great band. I mean, I, I loved watching them, like, every day. And, you know, they would he would just start playing Light My Fire, you know, and he would say, you know, he'd go, you know, it would be untrue. And he would just do, like, a verse and a chorus. And then, you know, they would do, like, Paranoid or, you know, all this stuff. And it was so much fun. And I was not in a great place at the time, so I didn't take out my camera. And I really regret that because I wish I could have photographed them. And I just didn't bring out the camera, you know. It's one of the things I regret the most. But he was a he was a fun guy. But he was he was, you know, second bill, you know. So I could go up to him and say, I don't care how fucking big you are. You fuck with me, I'll get you fired right now. You know? <laughs> and so he didn't know what to do with me, but we we became friends and he was he, he was a phenomenal talent. Uh, I actually wrote a song that I thought you know, was in their style that I, I really wanted them to record. And then I, I told them, I said, you know what we gotta do? We gotta get you singing like standards, like Frank Sinatra stuff, put you in a tuxedo, you know, and <laughs> and do that whole thing. But it, it just never happened, you know. He was so nice to me as a fan and I would bring him, it was like a joke, I would bring him a Fruit Punch Gatorade because he would always be working out. Every He's like, you got more shit for me to sign? And it got just one of those things where I started following them around. Honestly, it, it kind of a funny story to tell you. When you guys left, I kind of gravitated towards them. They, I really got into that band. Like, I really liked them up until the end. Like, I was a just a really big fan of theirs. And I, I think uh, you guys touring together, because it was them that was with Godflesh, I think, when I saw you guys. Well, I'm yeah, sw- I'm not really sure if that, that was the bill, but it could be. No, but no, I just, I just like you know, because they're all from like Long Island and Brooklyn and stuff. So I'm from Jersey, so you know, <laughs> we had the same sense of humor. Sure, sure. You know? well, and so it was easy to relate. But um, the the funny thing I always thought was like the band was afraid of him, you know, because they never knew what he was going to do. You know, and I, the first time they showed up for like the first gig, I just went up to him and just came like, yeah, you know, come on, fuck with me, you know, let's see what you got, you know, and, uh, 
and 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 we were cool every moment after that. And then he would do he would do um, stuff off of bloody kisses, you know, and says Jesus Christ looks like me. He would say Erivan looks like me, and he would say, <laughs> you know, on her neck is the dancing mark, and you know things like that. And that's you awesome. know, it was always fun. And I bought him like um, he was before he really you know he did carnivore before that but um he was working for the parks department and he was driving like a you know dump truck or something so when i heard that because i was dating his uh one of his ex-girlfriends and i just went to toys r us and bought him a bunch of trucks you know <laughs> and i went into his dressing room and i just put them down and you know, didn't say anything, just got the hell out of there and all that. And uh, <laughs> she said, he doesn't know what to do with you. You know, I'm like, yeah, well, fuck him. You know, said I can get a fire right now. <laughs> you know, if I want to. We're the headliners. You're, you're the opening act. I can get you fired right now. You know, and so, so this, uh, this is one of my favorite stories. So we're backstage and Typo Negative is doing their set, right? Uh-huh. And Glenn's down, you know, he usually wouldn't stay, not, like, he'd be on the bus until, like, 30 minutes before the show. So he had to be down there while they were doing their set. So they had those songs where they did, you know, a reprise or a reprise of, like, you know, sort of like those old Beatles albums, you know. And... And he said, didn't they just do this song? And I'm like, and I, and I just winged it. And I said, you know, they've only got three, four songs. I said, didn't you check these bands out? Because, you know, before you did, they're doing the same song over and over again. You know, and he totally bought it. It was so funny. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> so, um... For everybody listening out there, uh, tell me a little about what you're doing now. Oh, I'm still trying to put out the second book, you know, after Misery Obscura. Okay. I, I want to do another book called Misery Perfectum, which means, you know, the end. Right. And um, it's just going to be like, you know, no story, just really good quality photos. And maybe like a little bit of like where I took this or, you know, little blurbs. But, you know, each page is going to have a nice photo on it. That's and awesome. that's what I'm trying to do. That's really cool. I'd also like to, get another, I'd like to get another record out. But I'm here in Nashville with a billion fucking musicians. And nobody can get together they all want to do something different I'm like yeah well, I just want to like you know do these songs they're blues they're kind of country you know nice not that big a deal but everybody wants to get paid you know whenever I run into somebody like you know a fiddle player or a guitar player they're like yeah 50 bucks a song I'm like yeah but I don't have 50 bucks <laughs> you know right so, yeah, so that's been the problem all the time since I've been here. And I really want to put it on the record, you know, because 
think I have something to say, and then maybe just paint and not do anything else. But everybody, you, you go to a bar, and everybody's a musician. You oh, know, sure. you could tell they're just doing this so they can do something else. You know, and it's kind of a problem. Yeah, that's... So. Uh, another thing we do on the podcast, we're huge horror fans. Uh, are you a big horror fan? Yeah, well, yeah, pretty much. I was born in 64. Yeah, so, man, you're you know, a heyday. <laughs> yeah, well, all the horror, you know, um, you know, the monster, monster models, you know, I had all those. You know, I had Chiller Theater. Um, it was in the 60s there was a big resurgence of horror movies so yeah I grew up on that are you a Hammer Horror fan? yeah I like Hammer just because of like you know the lesbian stuff and the nudity and oh all yeah that shit's crazy yeah it's good stuff um you have a favorite horror movie Erie? no I always you know I always go back to Madeline and uh, there is a, do you have a yeah. Blu-ray player? Yeah, I do. Dude, that Criterion version of Not the Living Dead that they put out is worth every penny. I haven't seen that because I've been looking around, but I haven't seen it. But. Um, I bought it off, I got it off eBay, but it's, if you've ever looked at the Criterion stuff, they always put the bells and whistles on stuff, and I mean, they just knocked it out of the fucking park. There's a damn work. Yeah. There's a work print of it on there. I don't know where the hell they got that from. Well, friend of mine went to the cemetery where they filmed that. You know, Sammy pictures and stuff. I thought that was pretty cool. That is fucking cool. I've been in where they did Dawn of the Dead. I've been there in Monroeville. I've been in that mall. Um, oh yeah, is that Monroeville, California? Oh no, uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I guess all that, all his. Uh, oh well, not not Day of the Dead. That was actually shot in Florida, but actually down where I actually was living when I was little, but down near Miami. But the first two, yeah, Pennsylvania, and something really weird that I never knew about uh, Romero. Uh, I was watching like NFL Network, and I guess he used he was a huge Steelers fan, so I guess he used to shoot footage of the games for them. Like amateurly, he would shoot this stuff, and I guess oh, yeah. when he died, the Steelers organization I guess bought a bunch of that stuff from his from his uh, wife to get a bunch of medical bills and all this other stuff. But yeah, he, he was a huge Steelers fan, so I guess he had all this footage that he would film uh, of them playing and all this stuff. So he was such a genius man. I I all these people, you know, they're in The Walking Dead and all that stuff, and that, that's cool, whatever, you know. But I, to me, he's like the zombie daddy man, Romero. He's the that's the fucking Oh, yeah, he's the reason that we have to watch all these fucking zombie films. And, you know, my wife, you know, loves all this shit. I'm like, really? Walking Dead, um, 28 Days Later, all this shit. I'm like, it's all the same. I'm so sick of this. Sure. You know, I'd rather see, you know, the Maltese Falcon, you know, or Casablanca, or any Jack Nicholson film. I was like, why am I... It's all the same. Either they're really slow or they're really fast. I don't care. 
Right. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, you're probably like me. If you watch a zombie movie, you watch Night of the Living Dead, you know, it's like... No, I love Night I used to go back in Jersey. We used to go at the midnight movies, you know, and see Night of the Living Dead and Rocky Horror. Fuck yeah. And, you know, whatever else. But we were always on drugs or whatever, you know. Sure. So... It, it, you know, I remember seeing Night Living Dead on Mescaline, and they get pulled <laughs> over by a cop. Oh, shit. And, yeah, and that was really, really strange, you know. But this happened, like, every weekend, you know, so. Now, were you into any of, like, the, the 80s slasher stuff? Now, well, you know, Glenn was always into, like, you know, back basket case and a lot of, like, you know, blood and gut stuff. Yeah, now, I always liked more about you know dialogue and like real movies. You know, did I you mean, like The Exorcist? I didn't. Yeah, well, no, I loved The Exorcist. You know, and I liked the first Halloween. And but for most um, most of the stuff is when I watch a film, you know, there could be one line that inspires a whole song. Sure, and then. I just do that, but no, I don't need that, uh, all that stuff. I'd rather see really good direction, really good lighting, and, you know, just, just, you know, some line that jogs something in me, and I just write it down, and all of a sudden I have a song. Right. Yeah, I... I guess growing up with all that the slasher stuff, I like all that stuff. And now the stuff that they put out now, I can't really get into. Like a lot of the more modern horror movies, I try to watch some of that stuff. I can't get into it. But the the stuff from the seventies and eighties and nineties, I love all that stuff. And then backwards, any of that stuff. I'm a huge Vincent Price fan. And uh, yeah, well, I'm supposed to you know write something on you know my favorite Vincent Price movie. I'm like Jesus, he did like a hundred films. You know, <laughs> I'm like gonna come up with one <laughs> I was just watching one the other day and he was you know he's playing a cowboy or whatever and I'm like that's not really good because <laughs> I remember when you know the mid 70s early 70s he was doing these uh, shrunken head cartoons you would take like a, an apple and you would cut it up and you would shrink it and it would turn into like this thing and he had like all this other stuff. And I, I already started writing sort of an essay on this. And I was just like, yeah, really? You know, you know, he was a cook. That was, you know, after all these horror films, he said, he made, you know, uh, books about cooking and stuff. And I'm like, right. I don't know really how to tie this all in. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't know. It, I, his movies, I remember seeing them because my uncle was a big fan when I was a kid, and I just remember, you know, I fell in love with that stuff. Like, I just, I've tried to grab up, uh, Shout Factory's put out a bunch of his stuff on Blu-ray, like, volumes of his stuff. They've done three volumes of, like, a bunch of his horror films. I just love that stuff. I, you know, even the original House of Wax, like, I just, I don't know, it's just good. It's, but... I've never really watched a lot of his stuff where he wasn't doing horror stuff. <laughs> I know that he did, but it's like, I don't know. 
Cool. You know, what, what I was trying, you know, what I was trying to do, you know, and that will get one pass on the essay. What, what I was trying to come up with was the voice, you know. You know, he could do anything, and it was always kind of creepy. You know, kind of like Basil Rathbone, you know. And I was trying to come up with, like, a theme that I could always go back to. Right. And so, you know, I only did, like, the first draft. Because my friend Brian was working with Bangoria. Oh, cool. Yeah, said, hey, you know, what do you think? You know, pick your favorite Vincent Price movie and then write about it. Like, really? Then now i got to find, like, 100 films and <laughs> come up with the best one. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, but I was thinking about some of the things and, you know, and it was always the voice, you know, so I'm trying to tie that all together. And I, you know, really, if I can find, you know, a bunch of the films, but I don't really care. I don't really have this, you know, enough time to sit there and watch them. And you know, he's doing a magazine because he's he's working with Fangoria, and nice. oh, well, just you know, write a couple of pages about Vincent Price, and I'm like, oh, maybe not. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, really, don't ask me this stuff. Right. <laughs> That's funny. So, Glenn and Jerry, what was... Now, I want to ask you this. This is something... This is just a random thing that I had heard for the longest time. Is it true that John was working, doing music for... Was he directing or was he just doing music for porn? Well, that was always something. I think he did probably a little bit of a you know, guitar stuff. You know, it might have been one thing or whatever. But yeah, I always heard that too. I didn't know if it was true. Like, it was supposed to be with the Dark Brothers, those directors from like the... Uh, um, I don't know if it's true. Yeah, but I... You know, I don't, you'd have to ask him, but, you know, I did hear that too. Yeah, I never you knew know. if that was true or not. Big deal. He probably did, you know, bounce, wow, wow, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I, I can't be sure. You know. I, I like I said, I can't thank you enough for doing this. This has been amazing, and no, it's um, been fun. Yeah, know. man, it's catch up with you, and and uh, like I said, you're my hero. That's why I started playing bass was because of you. I don't know if I told you that or not, but oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah, yeah, man. I was scared to death of you from watching those home movies and seeing you live. So I was like, you know what? There we go. I'm going to play bass because everybody's like, we don't have a bass player. I was like, well, I'll play bass. Hope we dig it. Awesome, man. Yeah, I'll uh, when I get it done, I'll uh, I'll send it to you, and you can check it out and you can share it on your page or whatever you want to do, or check it out. Yeah, send me a link. You know, I mean, as long as it's good. But you know, like I said, you know, I've told you uh, a lot of things that I don't tell people, so. Yeah, I think you'll. A lot of people might be offended, you know. I don't think so. We honestly, I, we've never, you know, not that I'm aware. I mean, nobody. We've had a bunch of people on. Um, The only thing that I did, um, I know a couple of guys in Cannibal Corpse, and but we had their original singer on. We had Chris Barnes on, and a hero of mine. You know, have him on. He came up with the name, did all the lyrics and all the stuff, and 
when I did that, the rest of the band that currently is doing that, because he's not been with them in years, they got pissed off about it, but whatever. You know. They got butt hurt with me because but they would never do the podcast, so it's just like, well, whatever, I'm gonna get somebody from the band because 'cause I'm a fan, you know, so I don't know. But Yeah, but you're talking about like cannibal course as opposed to dancing really you know, you can't compare the two. No, God, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying you didn't say anything bad, and I don't think anybody would do that. And if I go back and listen to it and find something there is, I'll take it right out. So. Well, I might have told you something that I might not have told anybody else. You know, you just have to... Uh, well, we'll let you listen to it. And you can tell me. You can be like, hey, let's get that out of there, and I'll take it right out. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, man. Keep it, keep it real and keep it positive. But I've only, I'll tell you, this is a funny story. You'll probably get a kick out of this. I was doing an interview. It's the only time I've ever had an interview go to shit. Um, I had drove from Florida to Atlanta to interview this death metal band. And uh, it was set up through the label, so they had to do the interview. They kept saying they didn't want to do the interview. I'm like, well, look, you know, you know I'm sorry. We're doing this. I just drove, you know, <laughs> like, you know, nine hours to get up here. And... The founder, who is who I wanted, the guitar player, who I wanted to do the interview with, um, he did some of the interview, and then he was like, I've got to go run sound for this other band that's going to start playing. I was like, okay, that's cool. This was last year. And anyway, I ended up doing the interview with the singer, and he is just so mean to me through the whole interview because he didn't want to do it. But the label made him do it, you know, because I go through labels to get some of these bands to do interviews. And I never put the interview up. And they asked me, just to tell you how professional I am, and I could have put it up and made him look like a complete asshole. I didn't do it because I didn't think it was professional on my end that he was just being a dick because he didn't want to do the interview. So I just scrapped it. I never put it up. And like probably about six months later, the guitar player, the one that I wanted to interview, was like, dude, you never put that interview up. I'm like, well, I mean, I sent it to him. He's like, he literally like messed me. He's like, dude, thank you for not. I go, no, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm never going to put this up. Like, he, <laughs> no one would want to come see you if they listen. I mean, he was so mean. You know what I mean? Like, just, it was just a mess. And so I just never put it up. I could have. I just didn't think that was cool to do that. I'm a fan. So it's like, I'm not getting paid to do this shit. So it's like, but I drove all that way. I wanted to get the interview for myself, but I didn't know it was going to go to shit like that, you know? So. Yeah, well, not for nothing. I've sat in many interviews with Glenn, you know, and, just they were horrible <laughs> and um, you know and other times when like you know he wanted me to chime in or whatever I would try to steer him in a, another area but he might answer something more interesting or whatever but you know it was always awful and then I'd see him in the newspaper and you know whatever and I'm like yeah well I tried to do what I could do but it's all up to the you know the journalist or the interviewer to, to, you know, and generally they just want to hear the bad shit, you know. And yeah, I'm if, happy if, doing that. You know, but if you're, if you're a fan and you can maybe, you know, people would say, oh, I met Glenn in this total cunt, you know, and I said, well, maybe he had, you know, maybe he had a soft throat that day. Maybe he just wasn't in a good mood. You know, you gotta consider being on the road for 30 days or whatever. Maybe he's not in a good mood, you know. Sure. And you have to, you know, keep that in consideration, you know. I always try to. I mean, I, and like I said, this band's not that big. 
and uh, you know, it's this band called Decrepit Birth, and I, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna air that out. I'm not gonna do that to them. You know, I could, but I'm not going to. I'm a fan yeah, of the band, and, and you know, well, I'm a fan too, and you know, and what was so funny about it, the singer, the one that was so nasty to me, he still just says nasty stuff about me you know like like matt went to him and was like hey man he didn't put that up and just wanted you to know and he's really like, one bad interview and he's still worried about it well he was just he was just like fuck that guy and fuck his podcast and all that it was just awful and he was he the worst part was he was doing this to me during the interview you know he was just being just a butthole and i was just like i would have fucking hung up on him oh no this was in person that was why this was so it was bad eerie like it was like i mean it got out of hand and i finished it because i was like god damn it i drove you know it was set up through the label it's like you're gonna have to do the interview you got to promote your record you know it's like it's just fucking stupid it's like you signed a deal off to do it you know if you didn't want to do it then whatever but if you know if it was down the street or something but i i'd went through too much trouble to come to that show i'd have to take off work and uh, you know, right. all this bullshit. And it, and it, honestly, I went through with it mainly just because he was being so nasty. I was like, let's see if I can handle this. And I was just witty right back with him. But I'm not going to put it up because it'll make him look like a fucking douche. So I'm just not doing it. Yeah, but you know, you know, like, well, maybe you don't have enough, you know, stuff that you can sort of, I don't know, color it or, you know. We tried. You, you know what? We, we really it. tried. It was that bad. Yeah, right, right. So there's nothing you can do. I mean, seriously, like, like I'll give you an example. Like, I would be like, on your second album, he's just like, yeah, why don't you go fuck yourself? I mean, it was bad. It was bad. (laughs) It was bad. Like, it was... Yeah. And it hurt my feelings, to be perfectly honest with you. I was still, you know, wet behind the ears doing it and stuff. And it was weird because so many other bands that I've interviewed, like, I interviewed Mantis and Abaddon from Venom last year. And... What great guys, you know, like you, they're just easy to talk to and know I'm a fan. And, you know, it was just, it was just cool, you know, and, and Destruction and uh, Millie from Creator. And I've had all these really cool guests and most people are very welcoming about it. But when the, when the interview starts to even remotely go south now, I just end it. Like I'll, I'll sit there and ask them what I need to get for the interview. So I didn't waste all of my time doing it. And then I just end it, you know, cause it's like, it's not worth sitting there. Excuse me. I have to go to the bathroom and then you leave. Yeah. Basically, I mean, yeah. it sounds oh, awful, but it's like I don't want somebody to sit there and cuss me out. Now I will tell you this: this is this is a this was a really weird one. I went and did an interview with Decapitated, and not even two weeks after I did that interview, another interview I can never put up. Oh, I guess I technically could now. They got accused of raping these girls on their bus in in Washington State. All four of them yeah. went to jail out in Los Angeles. They held them. They're from Poland. They held them for like four months, found them not guilty, sent them home. But during that time, after I had done that interview, you know, there I've got this interview with this guy that's accused of doing all this stuff. I mean, it was just fucking crazy. It weirded me out that they got accused of doing I'm like, did they do this? Like, I was on that goddamn bus. Like, it was like, you know, it was like, I mean, I didn't want to believe that, and they got cleared of it, but it, it was crazy because I was like, well, I mean, do they do it? And then I just felt weird after doing that because it, it wasn't like literally like a week and a half, two weeks later, they got arrested wherever they were in like Los Angeles and got put in jail. But I don't know, man. It's it's weird. Like, I 
some of the stuff is most of the time it's it's incredibly pleasant it's a lot of fun to do and we've had people that have come back on again if you ever want to come back on i'd love to have you back on again if you've had fun and no i'd never like to come back on again okay well you don't have to <laughs> okay well you're messing with me but yeah but i mean seriously like no, it's, I've, I've already given you more than i've given a lot of people so you know well you know, you know if you don't it's cool it's not like that but we we have a bunch of folks like to come back on whatever you know and i, I like to i hope people have fun with no, you can always call me you know whatever you know but you know if i have something to promote or you know we haven't covered any subjects which we covered quite a few subjects yeah <laughs> so i don't think you have anything else to ask me no probably um, not but you know, it was an honor, regardless having you on, and I appreciate your time and everything. Well, it was, it was nice, you know, I appreciate it, you know, and it's fun, and I hope, uh, you know, it's further as the myth. Well, like I said, you, the reason that I picked up a bass and I still play, so, was because well, of you. Yeah, so. well, you know, I like to hear that. Well, it's true, man, and it's, it's, this has been an absolute pleasure having you, and I'm sorry it ran over so long, and... Oh, no, it's fine. I, I was just trying to get away from the wife, you know. Gotcha. So, you know, if I can sit in here in the other room and talk to somebody else, <laughs> you know, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, look, I'll, uh, yeah, if you want, I can send you a friend request on Facebook. We can keep in touch that way, or I can text you and let you know when I've got it done. I can send you the, the thing, and you can tell me what you don't like or do like about it. And Well, yeah, you can uh, send me a link and... You know, send me a friend request or, or send me a message, and then I'll know that you you want a friend request. And, yeah. Know, other than that, yeah, I'm sure we'll work it out. Definitely, man. Well, look, you have a great weekend. I can't thank you enough for this. This has been fucking amazing, man. And uh, well, I enjoyed talking to you, dude. Uh-huh. It's seriously, it's a fucking honor, man. I've never got to meet you, and so getting to talk to you, this is just great. Like I said. At first time. Uh, just stop talking. Just stop saying that stuff because you know <laughs> it's not. It, I'm not like that. So well, you know, just want to be one person to another person. It's not. You know. Yeah. I. You know. I. What I always say is, if you know you like the music and you saw the shows and it made you happy, that's as far as it goes. You know, you don't have to. You know, go any further than that. Well, I appreciate it, man. Well, Erie, look, I'll be in touch, man. You have a great weekend, and I can't thank you enough for everything. All right, man. Cool. Okay, brother. Thanks again for everything. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Definitely, man. Take care of yourself. 